Hey everyone, welcome to a very special bonus edition of Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Uh, this is our first ever Patreon bonus episode. It's so yeah, exciting. Yeah, it is. It is exciting. We've been planning this for a while, um, ever since the Patreon started. Uh, and uh, we're actually going to begin this episode, this very special bonus episode, by thanking all our very generous patrons. By doing this, by backing the show, we're able to do these bonus episodes for everyone. Uh, and we just want to give a shout out to all of you, yeah. very generous souls. Thank you very much to Spencer, Scout, Philip, Min, Melly Muffin Pie, Marcel, Mark, Kyle, Kim, Cameron, Jeff, Inez. Hilton, Christopher, Brett, Bolt, Benjamin, Andrew, and Akira. Thank you so much. My original idea was to <laughs> go through everyone and give you a fire emblem. Thank you. You have my gratitude. <laughs> I am grateful. But I'm like, that would have taken 20 minutes. We would have lost all our fans. That would have been the whole episode, yeah. It would have been the whole episode. So just to give you an idea of what kind of nightmare <laughs> I was having before the show. Yeah. Um, uh, so this this episode worth noting, uh, free, available for everyone. All of our bonus episodes are available for everyone. Kind of our, our idea when starting the Patreon was, you know, if you're backing the show, you're backing it because you like the show and you want to support it, which like amazing. Um, and it wouldn't make sense to withhold more of the show from people. Uh, so all of the bonus episodes will be free and available for everyone. Um, they'll come out once a month. Uh, maybe more than that eventually. You know, if we get into a rhythm and we can. Uh, start to make that happen but anyway uh that said for now this is our our first one uh and we're talking about fire emblem this is like an in-depth uh spoiler centric almost uh discussion on on fire emblem uh, you can go back and listen to our first episode about it right when it came out and Stephen and i somehow played uh 20 to 30 hours in one weekend of that yeah, of that game uh in the episode lot. called i think it was um what was Infinite it? Stratego. Infinite uh, Stratego. Stratego. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you can go back and listen to our like first impressions of that. That's you know, that's that in itself is about a two hour podcast episode. Um <laughs> There's also redacted, which I kinda that's a half spoiler episode where You're I, right. Yeah. So this is now our third time talking about this. This is our third house. This of, is the third of, house, exactly. Of podcasts, yeah. Um but I, I think just like on a top level bonus episodes, I plan on just like kind of being a little bit looser, like actually low key. Like we always say we're a low key video game podcast. I expect this to be actually low key. We're recording at night. Steven's sick. I just had a beer. <laughs> so like, you know, things are loose over here. <laughs> Steven has a cold. It's a perfect time to talk a lot about Dimitri and this sort of uh, Byronic air he gives off. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm sick and wearing slippers. I'm, I'm aloofly smoking a cigarette. That's sort of like, you know. <laughs> Not playing by the rules kind of thing. Yeah, Steven's smoke alarm is going to go off at any My moment. smoke alarm literally has a weird robot voice that goes, fire, when it goes off. Isn't that scary? Whoa. Yeah, I that left the... Uh, I was cooking dinner, all right? And, uh, <laughs> hey, is this thing <laughs> oh, on? Oh, shit, tell me more. <laughs> oh, fuck, what was it? Asparagus and salmon, are you happy, you coward? <laughs> I left it on for too long, and the smoke alarm went off. It's a very sensitive alarm. It's like a weird 1970s mm -hmm. kitchen. Uh... But better to be sensitive than not. Absolutely. In all things. Uh, and yeah, so it, my, there's a weird robot that lives in my alarm that says fire. This is not Fire Emblem, though. Uh, so yeah, we're going to go through, <laughs> at this point, collectively, between Brendan and myself, Brendan has finished the Golden Deer house. Yes. I have finished the Blue Lions, 
and the Black <laughs> Eagles and are like a little under halfway through the Golden Deer. So we have like yeah. some mutual ground there. Um, it's worth noting, as many of you know uh, who have played the game, uh, there is a fourth route because uh, in the Black Eagles, there is a uh, halfway through you can choose uh, this very important decision to make, which we'll get into later. Um, that determines drastically alters the rest of the game. So from what I know, the golden deer route actually oddly shares a lot of similar beats with what they call the church route with the black Eagles. Mm -hmm. Um, but neither of us have played the church route. So we will be missing a little bit of that, but we should be touching on, you know, most of the games, a plot here and all the routes. So again, this is going to be spoiler heavy. We're going to talk about the stories of all three houses, what we really liked, you know, uh, just, just really just go through the whole thing. Um, and then in the latter part of the episode, uh, I'm going to put on an eye patch and Brendan's going to grow a chin strap and we're going to no. uh, in the latter part of the episode, uh, we're going to answer some of the questions that you all asked us. Um, a lot of yeah, really we fun asked questions. It. Yeah. We asked in the discord and on Twitter, uh, if anyone had any questions about the game that they wanted us to specifically answer or, you know, just things in general about the game that they wanted us to talk about on this episode. So uh, we will be answering those as well. Uh, Steven, before we even start talking about, I think, I think the blue lions were first. Yeah. On our list yeah. Of things to talk about they are. before we even get there. I, I just kind of a more general question that might, you know, it might be a quick answer. It might not be, uh, we'll find out, but like, what did you think of this game? Just total. <laughs> I mean, you're still playing it obviously. So you like it. Yeah. Um, but, but where, where do you net out? on it I'm, I'm curious like i you obviously love it but like where does it land like is this your favorite game of all time it, it's kind of funny and ironic that we've talked about this game for like an eighth of our show like we've had you know <laughs> uh -huh. two episodes about it we've talked about it a lot in passing um our discord which the link should be in the show notes uh if you're not in the discord and want to be um, we have a whole channel devoted to it and a lot of people have been sharing like their stories with it what I really like and it's extremely active that is maybe yeah. the most active channel in our discord is the fire emblem and channel what I love to see like there are a lot of people in that channel who are you know like me fans of the series that are like blown away by this one but there are a lot of people yourself included who have either never really liked the series or haven't played it at all weren't even thinking about getting it right and picked it up because of that channel and you know are loving it now. Yeah. Um, so where's this game land for me? Honestly, I think this game, I, I feel the same way about it. I did. Uh, there are a lot of landmark RPGs in my life where I, I, you know, I, that's, that's my favorite genre of game. I think that's the genre that I would say most consistently pushes the envelope of like games as art. Like how could you tell a story in a game? Yeah, the the genre itself is very broad now, so you can. It's like what, well, what, what determines an RPG, right? But for me, it was like FF Seven was the first one, you know, at age eight or however old I was when I played that. Yeah, that was like, oh, a game can tell a story. Uh, and then later on, I, I've cited often Mass Effect Two was like a big deal for me, where uh, it was like a game telling a story, but your actions were driving the story. Mm -hmm. Um. And I would honestly say uh, Persona 5 uh, and Nier Automata were also games in recent memory that like also felt like landmarks in the genre of like, how can you tell a story within a game? Fire Emblem Three Houses really is such a testament in within the genre and I think games in general in terms of 
how to tell a story as a game, especially because there's so much happening here that like if it was presented in any other medium, I don't think it would have landed as hard. Like if yeah. you watched a show where you saw Ignatz and Raphael talk about their past and then there's a time skip and they're fighting in a war, like it would be good. I'm sure it'd be fun and enjoyable, but like I don't think you would have the same emotional resonance with them that you do in the game. Uh, it's the same thing where like as in a book, a lot of people go, oh, the, the movie's never as good as the book because there's something to be said about what associations you are making while reading. That's not to say that's not to say that books are a better medium, but that's why I think a lot of people often are more critical of film adaptations because nothing beats the experience that that medium has to offer exclusively. Um, yeah. There are plenty of films that are actually better than the book because they use whatever film can do uniquely to its advantage. So I think that this game zeroes in on the idea of you playing as this professor and investing in whatever house you choose. The whole game is centered around getting to know these people and caring about them. And it like everything, everything that happens is rooted in that idea. Yeah. And it is so successful because of that. Like by the end of the game, even if you started off being like, I don't really care. I'll give this a shot. Like you, you will end up loving whatever house you chose. Like it's, it will happen to everyone who plays this game. Yeah. totally. Uh, and, and I think that, for the first time, at least in my experience, this is the first Fire Emblem game where I've also cared about the world itself. I've cared about the like the continent and the history and the politics and like wanted to <laughs> learn more. Uh, and that's so fascinating to me. So I'm not even really answering your question because of, there's so many things I want to address with this game. I I love this game. I it, it feels like it's uh it's hard for me to definitively say because like usually there's a point with a game I love where like I, I finish it and there's that like, Oh my God, it's over. Like, how did I feel about this? Let me take some time away from it. This has been such an ongoing experience and like, right. The more people play it and talking about it with them, like it always makes me go back to it. So I don't know. It's, it's definitely, it is likely in my like top 10 favorite games like ever, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate to be like that guy, like, Oh, top 10, you know, but like it <laughs> is one of, my favorite games in recent memory. Um, yeah. It's really nice that since doing this show, I've had at least a handful of games that I felt this passionately about, but I think this game just delivers on everything that fire emblem has done well in the past, at least what I have enjoyed from the series. Uh, you know, I'm sure if I played the whole library of dozens of games, I could probably nitpick, but mm -hmm. what I loved about awakening was the idea that, Again, kind of akin to Mass Effect, my choices mattered. There were stakes to every battle, and I cared about what was happening. Right. It's it's such simple phrases, but the idea of like the so many games really fail to make you care about what's happening. You know, mm -hmm. right? Like, there yeah. Are games oh yeah. That I like like a game like Astral Chain, I have a lot of fun <laughs> playing. I yeah. don't give a shit about anyone in that game, like at yeah. all. You know, and I and I I tend to naturally try to empathize with like whatever whatever the cast is or whatever and and given that game's intention is not to really make you care too much about the plot it's there to provide you with a very surreal kinetic experience yeah there's there's like bit one big lingering question that like if you're interested even in the slightest then it might propel you to continue playing that game yeah which is kind of um, where i'm at not to turn this into a national chain discussion yeah, yeah. No, we'll, we'll touch on that again but i just you know i think that 
there's something to be said for the power of games as a medium putting you in a position where your actions determine the outcome for characters that you've grown so fond of. Yeah, um, totally. that's a very powerful thing for a game to do successfully. And it did. It, it succeeded on all fronts. Yeah. I and mean, we talked pretty extensively in one of the episodes about how this game mechanically like really is completely centered around like you can you can almost see the the lead designers of this game sitting in a conference room saying, "Okay, what mechanics go into making the player feel like they're a professor?" You know, like yeah. how, how do, how do we explore through game design the idea of of teaching students and investing like emotional support in them and turning them into the best people possible um which is amazing because they succeeded on every front there like i've never seen a game that that got me invested in people's futures like this yeah um it's 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 fascinating it's really cool and i think too in any rpg that i especially love i i love ensembles like i like in my own writing and in things I seek out, like I love a really good ensemble, like a main, like, you know, a, a focus on the ensemble versus like a, a singular character. Yeah. And in, while yes, like the professor is kind of the chosen one silent protagonist. Um, mm-hmm. The focus of the game still very much is on the students and the house leader and like everyone, yeah. you know, like the last moments of the game are an epilogue of your students. So like the last thing you're given is like, what are they up to now? Like animal house yeah. style, you know? Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's been a movie that did the epilogue before animal house, but that's always the reference of like, yeah, you know, that's the one everyone brings the up, animal yeah. house ending breakfast club, I think is the other <clears throat> one that I always hear breakfast club. Yeah. Which is actually way more akin to the vibe of this game, which I'll get into. Totally. Um, but yeah, where it lands for me, it's it's one of my favorite games I've ever played. I, I can say that with full confidence now, having put in way too much time. But that's the thing, <laughs> it doesn't even feel like it doesn't feel like time wasted. I don't feel gross after playing it for a long time. Yeah. And and I mean like I I don't get me wrong, I binged the first playthrough. Like when I got it, like that was that was a bad. Like no one saw me for a while. Mm-hmm. But now it's <laughs> like okay, like you know, a healthy amounts like right slowly going through the other two playthroughs um and i'm also not one to like have to need to see everything in a game um and that's something i'll also touch on is like that idea that is explored a lot in games like undertale even uh where it's like you know what what is it about a game that makes you need to see everything what is it about this game that makes you need to see everything a lot yeah so we'll get into it but yeah, yeah that's that's actually one of the things i wanted to touch on uh, at some point in this conversation as well is you know they give you the ability and you can see it on the main menu when you go to the extra section and you can check out like all the support dialogues and um they just added the ability to see all of your conversations that you have in the goddess tower uh things like that i just remember thinking to myself as soon as i finished the golden deer playthrough my golden deer playthrough specifically was like I love the way my playthrough ended and I don't want to do the golden deer again. I don't want to see more of that. And I honestly like in my future playthroughs, I probably won't recruit any of the people from the golden deer. Like, cause, cause that story is so strong the way it finished, the way it all ended up by the end of it. Um, I, I, I was so surprised by from like a narrative and a thematic standpoint um that like it felt too perfect it felt a little bit too perfect and i'll go into why later um but yeah i i this is not a game that i i can see myself wanting to 
quote unquote see all of. I'm never going to hundred percent this game. I'm probably going to play all three houses, um, and and then that's it. That's probably all I will do. Um, oh yeah, that, and just that's see how I they meant. end in, in my in my yeah yeah. What I meant by see everything is to see all three stories, basically. Mm-hmm. No, I just I, I just wanted to bring up like there is an even deeper version of seeing oh, everything sure. that yeah, is possible yeah. in this game. Like you can you can see it in the extra section. Like they will track you. Um, I don't know having a support dialogue with uh, with Ingrid um, as as male and female Byleth, and then as uh, Golden Deer, Black Eagles, and Blue Lions, and they will track the differences between all three all. I guess six of those. There's six different permutations of that that can exist. Yeah. Wow. Which is wild, and 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 uh, that is like that is what hundred percenting this game yeah. looks like is seeing all of those. I will play all three houses for sure, uh, yeah. and I will play once on maddening difficulty because they said Interesting. Uh, th- yeah. that's the new lunatic. Right. Yeah. I'll try it out, see how it feels. Because I've gotten pretty good at this game. I I. Uh, I've you know I've I've learned some strategies that are uh, useful. Oh God, it sound awful. But uh, <clears throat> I they said like if you beat the game on Maddening without using New Game Plus, you just start fresh. You unlock something or something like that. Just gotta do it. I'm in too deep. You know, I gotta I gotta prove that I can. You don't know what, might, what what you unlock yet. You just know that you I'm unlock sure. something. They said that they said that the title screen will look different. But I just independent of any prize, I just want to do it. I want to say I've done it. I, yeah, and totally. I might go back to Blue Lions for that playthrough. You know, I love that idea. Home, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, may, maybe something I would stream if I get a setup in time, but uh, we'll see. There is something very cinematic about all that. I'm I'm into that idea. Yeah, it's cool too because like I'm glad we're doing this episode now because it's been enough time that people playing at a normal pace are like finishing it for the first time right and not people who have to record a video game podcast (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. everyone's like everyone's like organically enjoying the game now uh Mm -hmm. it came out like what late july so it's been out for like two months feels like it's been out forever you know i don't remember my life before this did i have a life before this (laughs) welcome to episode eight of our podcast yeah for real so (laughs) we'll get into it um so we're gonna start with the blue lions um so this is my first house. I chose yeah. this house because I thought the name Holy Kingdom of Fargus was funny. Uh, and I also <laughs> felt like it was probably going to be the least popular choice. Um, mm-hmm. That was before the game came out. That was like, I was, I'll, I'll go with Blue Lions. I feel like everyone, like, in, in the promotional material, I just felt like uh, there was a lot of buzz about Black Eagles and Golden Deer. Um, yeah. And then uh, once we got to know more, the house leads better, like Claude is just so cool and charming. I'm like, I want to choose Claude, but I like, I want to see what's up with Blue Lions. Like, it's just some like boring prince, you know? Like, yeah. And and here? as we discussed, um, the night that the game came out, my first inclination also after after starting the game and meeting everyone was to also choose the Blue Lions. But uh, you had you had expressed interest in it, so I th- I said, you know, I'll pick someone else. Yeah. So I um I committed to it because I was like. And as we discussed in in the first episode about the show, it's a tough decision. Like they they let you, you know, you meet the three leads. They're all appealing in their own way. They all have a story that's being broadcast that is very interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And you meet the students in the class and like each house, even on a superficial surface glance, like has enough intrigue to it that like they all there's no there's no like 
it's amazing that they've made three casts of like really strong characters, you yeah. know? And then built a framework in the game that allows you to mix and match people from other houses in ways yes. that still somehow fits that house's story. Yeah, it's I will touch wild. on that. I will touch on that because that was a big part of my Black Eagles playthrough that I was surprised Same by. Same with me. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so Blue Lions is my first choice. And uh, so it's interesting because I feel like now that I played at least the, the uh, in the Golden Deer, I'm like, I'm like a little, like a few chapters before the time skip. So like I've now experienced the first like act of the game with all three houses. Yeah. And it's, it's similar beats, right? Both in story, like you get the same uh, events happening, but very different chatter around it. Very different vibes from the ensemble scenes of the houses. Mm. Uh, some different scenes in between the events. Um, and the same notion that, when I chose the Blue Lions, I initially was like, did I make the right choice? I don't know if I have a firm read on these people yet. I don't yeah. know if I really like this house. It's, it literally feels like first day at school. You're like looking around like, what is, where am I? Who is this? I guess I'll eat lunch with Felix. He's kind of mean. I don't know. Uh, and you and I, so, had, I, I remember had the same inclination as we started to play the game with our chosen houses thinking, mm, maybe should have been the Black Eagles. Right. Or, or, or like I, I was actually most torn about the golden deer. Cause like, as I talked more to Claude, I was very drawn to that house, but, yeah. um, uh, you get to know the characters better and suddenly, you know, suddenly by the end of the first act, you were like invested in your house. Like no matter who you choose, you are invested in that house for the yeah. most part in the characters at least. Uh, and then, and it, it's just it's just amazing that like I've now experienced those beats over and over again where it's like you have those that like awkward first impression followed by like there are some characters that really don't put their best foot forward at all. If not, they yeah. put their worst foot forward. Totally. And it's up to you to invest in them to see if there maybe is more behind that. So I bring that up because uh, Blue Lions um I, I i was happy with the choice right away but like there weren't there wasn't like a standout character yet that like pulled me in other than maybe to do I, th I thought to do had a lot of intrigue to him oh he yeah. says like one word sentences to you and i'm like what is this guy's deal i gotta know yeah so love my blue lions uh it was a great time the thing about the blue lions uh, I'll skip the plot beats of the first half mostly because like we kind of know that i think anyone listening to that has played the game uh, we, we can touch on moments if we want, but I kind of want to talk about just sort of the vibe of the house and like the themes of the house and then yeah, I'll get absolutely. more into plot and the time skip. But the thing about the Blue Lions is that now that I played some of the other houses, the thing that stands out with the Blue Lions is there's a heavy focus on the past uh, and there is a heavy focus on family. That house feels like a big family, for better and for worse. It has yeah. all the highs and lows that family does. Um, a lot of the characters have grown up together. So Ingrid, Dimitri, Felix, Sylvain, and Dudu. Uh, five of the of the eight characters, right? Are there eight? Uh, no, yeah, there's eight. Say it isn't. Yeah, there's eight. Five of the eight characters all grew up together. Uh, That's wild. And some of them are like Felix and Dimitri are basically adoptive siblings. Um, cause in, at a certain point in Dimitri's life, when he lost his parents, he briefly lived with Edelgard's uncle, uh, who is up to no good. 
<laughs> that's when that's when Edelgard and Dimitri met as kids and, and really hit it off. And then he moved in with Rodrigue, who was Felix's father. Oh, interesting. Okay. And Felix's brother was, I believe, set to marry Ingrid, but he died in the tragedy of Dusker. So there's a lot of like they're they're a very closely tied together house that have a yeah. lot of history together. Um, the thing I was most surprised by, you and I talked about this a little bit off the show once, but the thing I was most surprised by was the idea that Edelgard and Dimitri were friends uh, back in the day at some point. Yeah. Um, and, and, and how that has devolved and turned into like literally like a perversion of that friendship, like a really fucking horrific thing yeah it's and it's the only it's the only uh route where you learn that at all uh it is not referenced in any other route um and that's the thing about the blue lion story it feels the most personal um you do Mm -hmm. not get you you get it from and that's the thing that maybe this is just me but when i played through the first time with the blue lions whenever people talked about crests like i didn't fully know what they were talking about like i didn't really know what that meant i didn't know what the importance of it was and I didn't get as strong of a sense of the class difference because, like, there are nobles in the Blue Lions, but like the nobles in the Kingdom of Fargus are notably more chill about that than the nobles in the Empire. Oh yeah, um, totally. And it's interesting because the only two commoners in the Blue Lions house are Ash and Dedu. Dedu has sworn a life oath to Dimitri, um, mm-hmm. even though he hates. Everything about Fargus, he has sworn a life up to Dimitri because he trusts that Dimitri will be a good king of Fargus and that he will help rebuild Dusker, uh, his his country of origin. Yeah. Ash idolizes nobles and like has this very fancified version of knights and like uh chivalry and and that's the thing with the it's a kingdom bound by tradition, bound by honor and respect. Um and a lot of the characters grapple with that in different ways. Yeah. You know, Ingrid and Ash, a lot of their early support dialogue is about like, they're like kind of like f- fans of knights. Like they're obsessed with these stories. And it's like, it's really fun. Like geek out about knights together. It's very funny and heartfelt. Yeah. But like Ingrid needs to become a knight and wants to become a knight. And so a lot of the blue lion stuff is like having this, having this fantasy of what, what adult life is going to be and then dealing with the harsh reality of it, which I think is why there's often a focus on the past because there is not only kind of a glorified lens of, of reading stories of knights of the past, but there's also characters like Dimitri who eventually struggle with letting go of the past. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that's, that's the beginning phase is planting the seed of that Felix too has a grudge against Dimitri he holds pretty permanently, calls him the Boar Prince. And, you know, Ingrid is uh, kind of trying to, she she wants to become a knight, so she's excited about the future in that way, but she's from like a lower income noble family, so kind of more of like a middle class noble yeah. family that wants to marry her off for money. So like, yep, a lot of the characters are trying to, if they are thinking about the future, it's like, it's a wish or a fantasy like like uh to do you know mm. where he's like one day you'll be king and and they have goals but it's not like the other houses which we'll get into so in broad strokes i would say that there's a heavy emphasis on the past the moment that i realized this was one of my favorite games of all time which i touched on i think in uh the episode where we redacted everything is called redacted yeah um is the time skip 
with the Blue Lions. And that is still, I mean, I, I haven't gotten to the time skip with the Golden Deer yet, but that, and, and also it was my first time playing. So, you know, that is, that is something to be said. You know, the first time skip is going to hit you the hardest. The way it plays out with Dimitri is just such a really sad, but beautiful moment. Um, I, as I said before, like you go back to the monastery after, you know, uh, I, I will say too, Edelgard revealing herself as the Flame Emperor. I think that's still my favorite scene of it happening because it plays out differently in the other playthroughs. Yeah, and you know, there's this big battle uh, in the in the t- Holy Tomb, I believe, and you you have to defeat the Flame Emperor to like that's the condition of winning the battle. And when you do, it goes to a cutscene, and their mask falls off, and it's Edelgard, and Dimitri just starts laughing, like his eyes get big. Yeah, he looks he looks like a citizen of Ermeyer village when they lose their mind and they just like are killing each other mm. like he he snaps um, and it's really surprising. I mean, it's such a it's such a surprising moment because in the Blue Lions playthrough, especially if that's your first playthrough, you do not see that coming. I did not at all. Right. I did not see Edelgard being the Flame Emperor. And that sets the stage for. Uh, her becoming emperor and declaring war on the church, trying to invade the monastery, yeah. having that big battle, then waking up five years later and finding Dimitri with an eye patch, sunken. There's this recurring shot throughout the various houses of the professor or another character, and two characters facing each other. Usually one is on the floor or one is standing up, and there's very different context for that. Mm. So... It's one of one of my favorite shots in the game. It's the professor walking in and there's like a very weak ray of light lighting the professor as Dimitri, who's barely visible, is just like like a goblin in the corner of a sewer, just sunken, <laughs> holding yeah. a spear with an eye patch. Right. And it's shocking. Like it really is shocking to see him like that. He it is such a change in every way. And when he talks to you, he's like not even happy to see you. He just can't even believe it and just goes off. He's like, let's go vermin hunting, and just runs off with a javelin to fight bandits. Yeah, um, and like he, we said, yeah, he definitely. I think of everyone, like in the whole game, has the most surprising time skip. Like pretty much everyone else is fine. Like everyone else is yeah. like okay. Five years later, Dimitri is the only one who like really tanks. I have a question for you though. When you saw him and you started to see that that was his vibe, how did that make you feel about Felix specifically? Because he's been telling you this whole time up until now yes. that like he has this inside of him. Had did, did did how did you feel about Felix as he mentioned that stuff to you? Um and and did that I guess like color your your view of Dimitri in that early phase and like how did you feel about all of that afterwards? I'm curious. I re- I really liked Dimitri a lot in the first part. Uh yeah. he's he's very cuz the thing about Dimitri is that he's very open and he's very like willing to take ownership of his faults from the past Mm. like and even in the supports with felix or felix is like you know you're an animal i'm not even talking to a human uh he's brutal and 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 dimitri's like i won't deny that that's a part of me you saw like it's like what can i do to make us friends again Mm. on the flip side of that you have to do who like you know is is his view of Dimitri is it's night and day to Felix's. So in that moment, it is kind of like, God damn it. Felix is right. You know, like Felix had this guy completely figured out. And honestly, even more than thinking about Felix, you fight bandits by yourself with Dimitri for roughly like 
five turns like it's a while yeah it takes a long time yeah. and at a, and it's a tough battle the difficulty jumps up pretty significantly in that battle I was yeah you warned me about that well. i was really surprised at how suddenly difficult it got like you yeah. really are like skin of your teeth for that whole fight yeah it ramps up and it's so clear we're outnumbered and, and i literally asked myself like both role-playing and me as a player like i'm like why am i here like do yeah. this guy has clearly fallen off so badly like i don't even know if i could trust this person anymore i'm not seeing the same person that i that i had before why am i risking my life for this person right now yeah because it seems Uh, like he has a death wish and he wants to take you with him yeah pretty much i mean like that's exactly what's happening pretty much like oh you you my professor the person i looked up to couldn't stop me from turning into this so you have to come down with me yeah Pretty much. I mean, he I, I said this before, but his first line to you is like, so you're haunting me, too. Yeah, uh, wild. And like he I mean, it, 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 it is kind of funny out of context. Like Every time he kills someone, he's like, he's like, soon I will become a monster, too. Or, you know, like it's oh very yeah. overdramatic, grim, dark kind of stuff. Um, But it's very effective in the moment. And it makes the moment when the first person to come back was Ash. And I literally teared up because mm. Ash is one of my favorite characters. He's he's one of my favorite blue lions. And he came back with Gilbert, who's one of the Knights of Saros. Uh, and I was like, oh, my God, they're coming back. Like they they are still here. So like yeah. and Dimitri can't handle it. Like he's not happy. He's just like and, and it's only because they come back that you're able to get out of that alive. What what was the narrative reason why they were there? Because I feel like that probably changed between houses. Like why why did they start to return all at the same time? Um, it's it's still the the Millennium Festival. They promised that five years later they would oh, return okay. there. Yeah. So I don't think Dimitri knows that that's the case. He's just like killing people. <laughs> He's just like killing yeah. bandits with an eye patch. But. Yeah. Everyone else comes back and they all thought Dimitri was dead because he was he was to be executed. Yeah. Um, What makes that scene even more haunting is that or even more tragic in the moment is that when everyone comes back, they're like, where is the do? And he's like, he died rescuing me. Whoa. And I was like, I was because the do is is my favorite blue line. One of my favorite characters in the game. Yeah. Uh. And I was just like, I can't believe like, and that, that even adds to like why Dimitri snapped. Cause like if the dude is dead, then Dimitri has, he, from his perspective, he's lost everyone, you right. know? Yeah. Like he has lost everyone and, and all his former blue lions coming back is still not enough for him to bounce back. Mm-hmm. So the rest of the narrative plays out. Uh, the next couple of missions, Dimitri is like locked off from support conversations. No one can have support with him. Whoa, he he stands in the cathedral looking at the the crumbled statue and like says stuff. He either says "go away" or nothing, or or he's like, "If you don't like me, kill me where I stand. Like strike me down." Whoa, if you disagree with me, that's the thing wild. Is he, he doesn't become like a he. He's not really even trying to be king because basically everyone comes back. And they're all like, cool, Dimitri, you're alive. This is amazing. Like, what do we do? And he's he's like, we marched to Enbar. I cut off Edelgard's head. That's what we do. <laughs> Shit, yeah. And everyone's like, N- no. <laughs> that's like, <laughs> that's not a good idea. Like, yeah. you're, you're severely underestimating Edelgard. You're severely underestimating the Empire. 
And like, this is the one chance we have to rebuild what we've lost. Yeah. And you're zeroed in on just getting revenge. Because Garrick Mach is not really under under the purview of the Empire at that point. It's really not under the purview of anyone because it was created as as a as a center point for the three lands that exist there, pretty much. And and still is that. So like they could just build like a peaceful respite from the war there if they wanted to, I guess. But Dimitri's like, nah. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna he go did, he, head hunting. He wants to march to he wants to march to Enbar, the capital of the empire, with fourteen people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, take down the whole empire. Exactly, and and again, it's a death wish. It's he is he is overwhelmed by grief. He's not even really present. Like he's not he he is cruel to his enemies, but he's not even like really registering people around him. Mm-hmm. There's a really disturbing fight. One of the first fights you do, so like you reclaim the monastery and the Empire hears of this pretty quickly and they send troops to fight. Uh, so you're one of your first battles is defending the monastery and uh, you, you defeat the commander unit um, who's actually a character in the Black Eagles playthrough, one of the like generals in the army. Yeah. Uh, it's the general that has the sibling. Uh, I don't know if you met them yet. They're really likable. They're like a brother and sister general in the army. They're just kind of there. They're not like one of your units you control. Yeah. But anyway, um, the game tugs at your heartstrings in the time skip because there's always a cutscene of like characters you're about to fight being like, you're my world. I love you. And it's like uh-huh. when the battle starts. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so you capture that general and Dimitri is like torturing him. He's like, you know, like you're going to watch all your friends die one by one. I'm going to cut out your eyes so you can't see. And like crazy stuff. Yeah. Uh and and you don't even get to choose uh Byleth, the professor just kills that general just to, like to prevent Dimitri from doing anything wow. awful to them. That's really wild. And Dimitri's like, you know, you can you basically like I miss the old Dimitri and he's like he's dead. Like and if you don't like the new one, kill me. You know, that's kind of where he's at. Holy shit. Yeah. And Felix, to answer your question, Felix is kind of becomes the the voice of reason at that point where he's like, hey, professor, mm. we didn't come this far because of relying on him. We're here for you. And like, don't don't waste your time trying to save this guy because he's beyond redemption. Um, so it's this really interesting dynamic of like everyone either hoping Dimitri will come back or giving up on Dimitri. Yeah. And the fact that it does kind of, it, it, he's the king, like he's back. They, Fargus needs their king to resume being king if they're going to stand a chance against the empire. Um, right. So every mission after that is basically Gilbert and all the blue lions being like, let's see if other houses will ally with us. Let's retake Fargus before we go to Enbar. So... You also try to team up with the Alliance, but there's something that happens with that where like um, Claude helps you out behind the scenes for a bit, but then you send a message to the Alliance and then the messenger is found dead. And then that leaves to the battle of Grander Fields, yeah. which is like the big, that's like, they feel, it feels like the whole game was written around that battle. Yeah. Totally. Where like, you know, all th- it, it's a mock battle you've had twice before as students and now it's real. And it's just like, what what I find most effective in this game is how when these characters die, either by your hand or by someone else's hand, the unit fades away the same way a thief would. You know, mm. the like the sound that they fade away, it's like 
and even more haunting is like the level up music after you know oh my god yeah like because you get so numb to killing enemies in this game but then the game reminds you like no these are all people yeah you've been killing people this whole time right just because you happen to know who sylvain is doesn't mean like yeah it doesn't mean that the thief isn't a well maybe sylvain's a bad choice but you know yeah, but you know, I mean, ex- I know you mean like the, all the, the, them having a name and them being characters you've grown to know. Yeah. So like, yeah, I I was heartbroken because like the the golden deer felt especially unnecessary to fight, and like, I'm sorry, Brendan, but I had to kill almost every golden deer yeah. deer on Grander Fields, uh, and they all had lines like. Raphael was like, Claude took care of my little sis. It's like, oh my God. Oh, and like, Jesus, if yeah. you know his story, it's even worse. Right. Um, and uh, I did recruit one person in my Blue Lions run. I had Bernadetta. Uh, so I didn't recruit too many. I had Shamir as well, but I didn't know she was an archer. And I, she's one of the uh, church like teachers. I also had Shamir. Yeah. Um, she was cool, but I didn't really use her too much. But I recruited one other student. So Bernadetta from the Black Eagles. But yeah, every the all the houses were there. I bring that up because if you recruit, you could technically recruit every student other than the house leads. Yeah, and all those units are just replaced with like generic stuff other than the house leads. I I do say there is like even though that is like you can do that, and there's merit to doing that, as we'll get into later, because like the game has writing to account for any scenario. Yeah, which, which that, is that unbelievable. That scene is worth experiencing in full force at least once. You know, like you agree. should, yeah. you should, you should try your best to like not recruit too many people because it's like, it's worth experiencing that battle as it was intended to be. I shouldn't say as it was intended to be because the game is intending you to play any way you want it to. But, you know, I think you do lose a bit of dramatic effect when it's like all nameless units instead of like the classmates you've grown to know. Yeah, I, yeah. Totally. Given if it's your first playthrough, you're not going to have the resources to recruit more than like one or two people. You know, mm-hmm. it's only a new game plus when you can like theoretically recruit an entire house of students, which is what I did later. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that I will do that, honestly, uh, in my future playthroughs. I, I don't for for like specifically immersion in story reasons. I don't think I'll be doing that. I, I, I agree with you, but I think that I think that there is still. I'll, I'll talk about that more in my Black Eagles run. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, like, both gameplay and story-wise, it's good to keep to, like, 13 characters, I would say. Mm. I would suggest that. I would say, like, recruit whoever you want, but I think it's good to focus on, like, less than 15. Yeah. But anyway, Grunderfield, heartbreaking, and Dimitri... It's, it's, <laughs> Dimitri has a moment where they tell him Edelgard is going to be on the battlefield, and he literally goes like... <gasps> Like he's like because like he has just been like daydreaming about killing her for you know what feels like forever. Yeah. So yeah, Dim- you're right. Dimitri is the one character that is like a different person after the time jump. I yeah. almost wish they had more fun with that with some of the other students, but like me too. You know, it, yeah. it, it's it's very effective. There's definitely a lot of changes in perspective, but nothing as dramatic as that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll talk about it more in the Golden Deer. Uh, chat but most of the most of the like real character arc shifts that happened with my golden deer characters happened during part two and not in the jump between part one and part two yeah which i yeah. thought was really interesting but anyway continue yeah so Grunderfield's definitely like a landmark event in that game like it, yeah. it really feels like they wrote the whole game around that it's an incredible 
moment. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's it's like really tragic and just the worst, but also like <laughs> captivating. Tearing up thinking about it. Uh so after that, I, I'm I'm skipping some beats, but I'm just sort of doing broad strokes. So it's fine. We have so much to talk episode. about in this episode, so it's fine to skip around. Eventually, someone who joins your forces is Rodrigue, who you may have encountered in passing. Mm. He is Felix's father. Uh, he is also essentially the adoptive father of Dimitri. And Felix, of course, because he's Felix, also resents his dad because... Felix's older brother died at the tragedy of Dusker and like all classic ass Fargus knights was like he died like a true knight that's what they say about him Mm -hmm. and Felix is like fuck that I lost my brother don't romanticize this yeah and that's Felix's whole thing is like he hates knights and stories of of he hates the glamorization of war because he knows what it's like yeah interesting you know so he he resents his dad but his dad's like a really likable character and is the person who is probably most equipped and most trying to steer Dimitri to the right path. Um, so Rodrigue joins up eventually and he's like, you know, here's what we got to do. If we retake Aryan Road, which is like our, you know, giant fortress, it's currently under control by the Empire. We can then go back to Fargus and blah, blah, blah. Mm. And Dimitri's like, no, let's go to Enbar. It's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just go right in. Why not? Uh, I have an idea. We're going to build a big horse made of wood. We're all going to hide inside. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's a beat in the conversation and and Rodrigue kind of sighs, but he bows to Dimitri and he goes, you're my king. Yeah. I will follow your lead, but I know the path you're on and it's a bad one. Mm. Like you have to know this. Like you, you're, you're alive we've all and 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 felix too and you know because god dimitri has a cape and an eye patch and he's talking about this stuff and felix is like i also lost family and friends we all have yes you don't get to become this brooding any hero because you lost people too right you know and 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 like obviously that's an unfair way to talk to someone dealing with like ptsd and grief oh yeah Totally. Like Felix is not hand, Felix is not communicating it in a helpful way, but he's right. Like he he's he's he has like basically what he's trying to say is, hey, Dimitri, we're all in this together, you know? Yeah. And we need your help because otherwise, you know, this will all be for nothing. And that's why I think even though it's very initially wearied ally with Dimitri because I'm like oh man am I suddenly playing as the bad guys now like this feels interesting weird yeah you feel like you're the good guys because uh it's such a reactionary thing you're just trying to get back what you lost you're not Mm. trying to take over anything you're not trying to push any agenda on anyone you're like trying to take back what you've lost and try to get back on your own two feet yeah so the, the the post time jump black or excuse me post time jump blue lion story is is a lot about dealing with grief and that's why i think it feels like a way more personal story yeah than it is about like any kind of political agenda or history or revenge or anything yeah so eventually what happens is dimitri's like slowly there, there are moments where you can kind of tell he's coming back or at least questioning how he is mm-hmm. and the breaking point is there's this little girl who asks if she can join life in the in the monastery uh in the base they have built there mm. um and dimitri's like yep go ahead sure 
you know, we're all going to die someday. Why not? You know, whatever, whatever yeah. he says, uh, as he tosses his cape made of wool. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, okay, what's up with this little girl? Like they're, right. they're the, the, you know, what's going on here. Um, and at a certain point she pulls out a sword and tries to kill Dimitri with it. Uh, this like little girl who I don't wow. think has a name. She might have a name. I might be forgetting, but like you've never met her before. Uh, she tries to kill Dimitri and she's like, you killed uh, someone very important to her. I'm forgetting if it was her father or brother, mm-hmm. but I'll get it. It's actually kind of ironic that I'm forgetting because I'll get into what happens next. But she tries to kill Dimitri and Rodrigue takes the killing blow and, and wow. dies for Dimitri. And then the professor kills the girl really dark. Oh, my God. Really? Uh, yeah. It cuts to black. But like because it, it all happens very quickly. Uh, and Dimitri is holding Rodrigue in his arms. He's like, and he's crying. He's like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm losing you too. And Rodrigue is like, I never stop believing in you basically. Mm, yeah. You know, like I, I'm dying for you because like, you're basically my son and I still believe that you can turn this thing around. Yeah. And at that point, Dimitri at least is showing emotion. He's just crying and he's like looking at his hands and he's like, I am an actual monster. Like, I can't even look at my hands because I have killed. He's like, I've killed so many people that I don't even know who who that girl was talking about. You know, like, mm, he, yeah, he, he he's like, I think later in his sport dialogue, he was like, he's like, I think it might have been, you know, someone we let into the monastery that like, you know, or a thief or someone. But the fact that he can't remember is so disturbing to him. Yeah, because like that girl's whole just like his whole life was now devoted to killing Edelgard, that girl did the same for who she lost. Yeah. Uh, and Dimitri's like, maybe I should, like, cause he also has survival skill. He has every type of grief and he's just like, <laughs> yeah, I should have died, you know, like, and, and you as the professor kind of reach out your hand and he's like, it's just a really beautiful moment. That's a turnaround where he's just like, finally it took a long time but finally realizing like oh wow people still believe in me right i can't let i can't let that what just happened be in vain so he bounces back and he apologizes to the group and felix is like okay been down this rabbit hole before you know or i've right. seen not rabbit yeah. hole but like i've seen this before yeah and he's like he's like felix i realize that you can't truly ever forgive me for what happened to your father but like let me let me show you rather than tell you, basically. Mm, um, yeah. And he suddenly is becoming the old Dimitri again. Uh, it's really exciting. It's it's a breath of fresh air. You can get support dialogues with him again. Um, his dialogue in battles changes. Uh, there was one point where I had to kill Professor Hanneman, who somehow was allied with the Empire. What the fuck, Hanneman? It was so sad. <laughs> I know. I was like, why is Hanneman so into the Empire suddenly? But after killing him, Dimitri was like, Professor Hanneman... We must move on. Like he, he's showing respect for the dead, but like still moving on. Right. Um, and, and the, the big turning point when Dimitri is finally back is when you retake Fargus and there's crowds of people like in tears of joy that their King is back. Mm. And he's like, it's great. He, he's like, it takes that, but like, he's like, Oh my God. Like, how could I have been so foolish? Like I, I need to be King. And now I have something to believe in because I have people that have helped me 
not become a monster. Yeah. Um, you know, and he, he's so grateful for the second chance. I, I think there's a line. It might be in like, if you, if you romance, uh, Dimitri, but you know, he always talks about his hands. It's like these hands that have killed so many. He's like, yeah. your hands that have saved so many, like you taught me how to live. He tells mm. you that no matter what, right? But he's like, you know, he's finally back. And it's, it's such, it's such a great arc and it feels very well paced and it feels believable. Cause I think what makes it feel believable is the fact that it is referenced that Dimitri has been like this before. This is not the first time he's cracked like this. Yeah. Um, but he's back and, and you retake Fargus. And then at that point, Dimitri's like, let me actually talk to Edelgard. I, if she is so determined to, to have this war, like I want to see if her vision for the future is at all in line with mine. Maybe we can end this today. Right. You know? Oh, that's really, that's fascinating. I had no idea that there was yeah. that angle at all in this. That's interesting. So he, he invites Edelgard who of course shows up with Hubert, um, <laughs> but it's the professor and Dimitri and Edelgard and Hubert. Yeah. And they talk for a bit and he calls her L, which is a name that, yeah. that she shares with, with a, a special few. He's basically like, what, like, what are you fighting for? Like the, you know, and, and the whole thing is Dimitri is like, I believe in the people. I think that the power is within the people. They are capable of doing good if they are given the right chance yeah. and are given the right circumstances. And Edelgard, at least in that story, is more like, no, I still have to finish what I'm doing because it will lead to the least amount of casualties once it's done. Mm. You know, her whole thing is that the ends justify the means. Um, so they kind of go back and forth and eventually realize she's like, you know, I'm thankful for this meeting because now more than ever, I realize that we'll never agree on the future of Fodlin. Um but she's but then like the theme starts playing. She's like, but I will say this, like, thank you, Dimitri, for the gift you gave me as a girl. It's one of the few reasons I've managed to like hang on to my heart as long as I have. Um mm. and basically as a when they were kids, when they briefly lived together, Dimitri gave her a dagger and he said, like, this will help you cut your own path. Uh and that was like wow. a parting gift for them. Yeah. Um so she basically like years, she's like that little girl you knew is dead, but I, if she were here, she would thank you for the gift and thank you for like helping me retain my humanity in this time. Yeah. So they had this kind of really, but also we're still goodbye. at war and uh, sorry, you're going to have to kill me. <laughs> we're still at war. Not only will you have to kill her, but she uses a crest stone to turn into a monster. Yeah. Uh, Edelgard in this route, you fight her and she is like, a weird like her face looks like old and shriveled and she has long kind of lovecraftian arms Mm. and she just stands in the back of the level floating and she can target your party wherever they are so she targets your healers specifically oh my god throws like balls of magic at them it's a really tough map she's good at her job she's (laughs) she's great and like and that's why i think I'll, i'll that was partially why I was, I got to do black Eagles next. Cause what the fuck is happening? Right. Um, but at that point, Dimitri's back. Edelgard has become an actual monster and it's in this really like the, the theme is playing in a very like orchestral over the top way. Um, 
I was so invested in my in my team at that point. Dadu comes back. I forgot to mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes back. I literally like threw my switch in the air in joy. I was like, because <laughs> I was like, how the f- like, how can they give Dadu an off screen death? That feels so shitty. They're giving me Gilbert as like a kind of replacement. Yeah, I hate this. Um, but Dadu comes back and he's like, we'll catch up later. And he was saved by the people of Dusker in like the prison he escaped from. They like his like his uh his comrades from Dusker like helped him escape. Yeah. Um and he looks so cool in the in the time skip. I love to do. Uh yeah. but he comes back and he he comes back right when Dimitri is kind of slowly coming back to his senses, which I think is purposeful, you know, because the do is like, I still believe in you. I've I believed in you this whole time. I'm I've sworn a life debt to you because you will be a good king. I know this. Um, so you're all together, uh, in, in the chambers of the emperor, she's a monster throwing fireballs at you. Um, and you defeat her and she reverts back to her human form. And just like the shot of the professor standing alongside Dimitri sunken in the shadows. Now it's Dimitri alongside the professor holding his spear and he's extending a hand to her in peace uh and he says like l and she's looking at the floor thinking and like clearly very emotionally affected by this moment but then in a in a quick moment grabs the dagger that he she was gifted and stabs dimitri with it uh she stabs him with the dagger that he gave her as a kid and then like quickly the professor slays edelgard uh, right after that happens and Dimitri's okay he like stumbles for a bit but like the professor kind of gives him a nod like hey that was rough are you okay and he's like yeah I'm fine and they walk out together um, and then Dimitri is king there's this panel of him with an eye patch with like a kid on his like like a kid asking Santa what they want for Christmas <laughs> like uh-huh. this weird visual but he becomes a king he becomes a good king oh and I forgot to mention um earlier uh when dimitri's coming back to his senses they help the alliance fight off the empire Mm. so and claude planned on this there's a scene where he's talking to i think judith and he's like if anyone could talk it if anyone could talk him back to his senses it's teach uh so he's like planning great on on the blue lions helping the golden deer fight off the empire so you help claude hilda and judith um keep the alliance capital and after doing so successfully claude hands you the hero's relic the bow and he's like i've decided like that the alliance should now be part of fargus he's like we used to be part of fargus i'm just kind of putting that piece back and don't worry all the nobles agree with me uh and interesting that's very interesting okay because at that point he had suffered such heavy casualties from the battle of grander that he's like well I'm placing my stock in Dimitri and Teach and not in the Empire, basically. Yeah. Um, so so the Alliance basically becomes part of Fargus again. And Claude survives along alongside Hilda, which I was happy about. Cause I was like, why are we fighting the Golden Deer? This makes no sense. Yeah. Um, but you know, so thankfully a few of them got out okay, which I was happy about. Um and I didn't really know the Black Eagles at that point, other than Bernadetta, who was on my team. She also feels like one of the few black eagles that like would probably be happier in a different class. Like there are like 
some students in classes that like you might be happier in a different class you know mm, yeah like felix kind of gives off a black eagles vibe which i'll get into in the next run but so that's <laughs> happens to the alliance um and then after defeating edelgard dimitri's king um and yeah it, it's a really it's a really cathartic and beautiful personal story of like a lot like a big family basically it's like a big family drama almost. so that's how it ends that's that's the end of that yeah interesting okay wow um i uh i kind of want to share with you the uh epilogue if you want to know who ended up together i absolutely um, do yeah i i was planning on okay. telling you mine um, <laughs> i'm just i'm just fascinated because there is significantly more game after that in the golden deer run and that's the thing about the blue lions one is that like i would say it's actually probably a good one to play first because it's so much about the characters yeah um not as much about the world so like i i beat it and then i was like huh but what about like what about like the weird people like fails and all of them that like Mm -hmm. you know uh we're like kind of the antagonist in the background. What's up with Raya? Like you don't really get anything with that. Like you, you, she's kidnapped through the whole game and then you rescue her in like in the epilogue, but like you don't hear from her at all. That's interesting. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that's still kind of up in the air, but like the, the arc of Dimitri is, yeah, is really the arc of the covenant is really wonderful. (laughs) And the the final support with him and to do is like one of the most beautiful things. It's that one of the questions later was what our favorite supports were. And I'll, I'll say one now is the do and Dimitri's whole support line is great. And at the end, Dimitri is basically like to do, we've been through literal hell together. You can call me your friend. You don't have to keep bowing to me and stuff. This is weird. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And he's like, but you saved my life. Like I would not be alive if it wasn't for you. And Dimitri's like to do, you don't realize like you're the one good thing I've done. Like if I didn't save you at the tragedy of Dusker, I wouldn't be here either. He's like, you're also the reason I'm alive. Right. Like you, he's like, even though you keep saying I saved your life, you also saved my life that day. That made me cry. Actually, Mm. like actually full tears. Yeah. Really, really wonderful. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the, that's the story. I want to share my epilogue real quick and then I'd love to hear questions about, cause I feel like you have a few questions based on your posture right now. (laughs) I have a very like gargoyle sitting on top of a cathedral posture, but yeah, tell me your, uh, your epilogue. So Sedith, who I didn't really use at all, uh, I liked mm. him, but you know I just didn't really. My team was kind of big, so uh, he remained in the monastery, worked to restore the authority of the Church of Saros, doing away with his old strictness. He adopted a tolerant stance toward all. His encouragement of believers to respect those of other faiths helped the people of Fodland to find common ground with others. Awesome. So he kind of softened up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Shamir, uh, distant archer. Oh, his title was ally of the archbishop, uh, archbishop, mm. uh, Shamir, distant archer. Shortly after the war, Shamir gave up the mercenary life and disappeared. Though she was never heard from again. Rumors swirled persistently for years of a master archer turned thief who lined her pockets by shaking down all those who preyed upon the innocent. Oh, that rules. She becomes Robin Hood. She is just Robin Hood. She becomes Robin Hood. Yeah. Which is amazing. Hell yeah. Who else do I got here? Annette, uh, bloomed overachiever. Uh, Annette returned to her hometown of Ferdiad, where she took up a teaching position at the Royal School of Sorcery. She was a gifted instructor, and many of her students went on to become world-renowned sages. 
Though her talent for teaching was remarkable in its own right, she was perhaps best remembered for effortlessly securing the trust and respect of many of her students, as well as inspiring all who knew her by living a life of kindness, cheer, and humility. Hell yeah, Annette. Good job. Uh, Good job, The dudes is kind of sad. Get ready. Oh, man. Taciturn devotee. As a loyal vassal, the dude dedicated his life to supporting King Dimitri through his entire reign. After tending to his liege on his deathbed, the dude resumed his post at Dimitri's grave on the edge of Ferdiad. There it is said he stood sentinel over the peaceful realm he had helped build until at the end of his days. So he became like a peaceful wow. like gargoyle in the distance. I love that. Interesting. Okay. Oh, Flane as well. Slumbering princess. Flane disappeared soon after the war, and over time, it was all but forgotten she had ever existed. Many long years later, however, a young woman resurfaced in a completely transformed Fodlan. When she looked to the man who stood beside her, she wondered if it would be all right in this new era to call him father. Well, There's a lot going on with Sedith and Flane. I don't know if you picked up on, but we'll talk about that. Yeah, I was I was actually going to ask if uh, if you got that reveal or not specifically. Um, That they are heavily implied to be the two saints. Oh, well, that and also the, the whole scene where it turns out that Flane is not Sedith's younger oh yeah sister? she's she's his she's uh his daughter i saw yeah. that okay paralog yeah. yeah i know flane's his daughter just want to make sure uh, but yes it yeah. is heavily implied that they are um saint cicelline and uh yeah saint citral i believe yeah um which is i also think it's kind of implied that you that the professor and gerald are the other two saints mm-hmm. in the hall yes um I agree. which is amazing uh, Gilbert, veteran patriot, Gilbert returned to Ferdiad and resumed his duty as a knight, faithfully serving King Dimitri for many years. When he finally retired, it is said he spent the rest of his days coaching the young prince in the art of combat. Okay. Come on, where are the couples? I uh, got it. One second. Uh, yeah, hit me. I'm so excited to see who got together. This is a fun one. Felix and Sylvain. Who saw this one coming? Great. After the war, Felix and Sylvain inherited their respective titles of Duke Fraldarius and Margrave Gautier and set to work restoring the kingdom. Each led a busy life, but that only seemed to enhance their friendship over the years. Each became known for making surprise visits to the estate of the other in order to deliver the latest taunting in a friendly but relentless game of one-upmanship. It is said that in their later years, they became so close that they passed away on the same day, as if conceding that one could not live without the other. Wow. Yeah, isn't that great? This is very surprising. Okay. Yeah. I read that in a more romantic way than if they... They're kind of like winking at it, not committing to it, which is kind of shitty. But mm. I, I, I like that. I like that ending to them. Yeah, Ash and Mercedes. After the war, Ash, Ash and form- Mercedes. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I also didn't see this coming. I thought he was going to be with Annette, but I digress. Uh, I don't fully know what determines this. To be honest, I think it's like it's amount of times spent together um, in in various capacities. I think. Oh, interesting. So, like, you might have just passively, without realizing it, had them on the field together more than anyone else, you know? Gotcha. Um, at um, least I think that's what it is. Like, if I had to guess, because I also was trying to figure it out when I finished the game, because I had some really surprising shit go down in mine also. Yeah. Ash and Mercedes. After the war, Ash was formally knighted and appointed the new head of House Gaspard, which had no successors. The young and inexperienced lord faced a great deal of difficulty in governing. Though he was famously tenacious and never lost heart, it was perhaps only due to the constant counsel of his wife, Mercedes, that he managed to overcome all obstacles. When not busy governing their territory, the couple lifted one another's spirits by baking delicious sweets for each other. 
The tradition was so heartwarming that it became popular for husbands and wives in that region to do the same for generations. I love that. Isn't that great? Isn't that so cute? That is really adorable, yeah. Wow. Um, here's another power couple, uh, Dimitri and Ingrid. Okay. After his coronation, Dimitri assumed the throne of Holy Kingdom of Fargus and spent his life ruling justly over Fodlan. At his side, every step of the way was Ingrid, who left House Gal- Galatia to serve House Bladed? I'm not sure I pronounced that. To serve another house as a knight. As they worked together to restore the kingdom, the pair fell in love and were eventually married. But while Ingrid was happy to play the role of queen and to support her husband in public and private, she insisted on taking up a weapon and serving on the front lines in battle. Hell yeah. Mm. Uh, And then I married Bernadetta in this playthrough. So here's how that played out. Guardian of Order and Eternal Loner, our first emo album. After taking... (laughs) After taking on the role of Archbishop of the Church of Saros, Stephen announced his marriage to Bernadetta. Many were concerned that the new leader of House Varley would do little more than hide, but she, in fact, followed the Archbishop wherever he went and provided him with constant counsel. She never did overcome her shyness, however, and it is said that aspiring advisors who frightened her were quickly turned away. Because the ones she liked performed well in their service to the Church, Bernadetta was widely to believe to have a discerning eye. Hmm. So... Yeah, so that's the Blue Lions. I love it. Yeah. That's interesting. I, 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 love, I love that you pulled Bernadetta in from the Black Eagles and then married her. That's interesting. Yeah, it kind of happened uh, It kind of happened organically. Um, but then, like, just the way the story played out, it just felt like the, the rest of the cast were so closely intertwined, like, in a familial way that I didn't want to be like, hey, uh, Felix, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, though, honestly, I feel like I might go for Felix next time. We'll see. We'll see yeah. what happens. That's that's great. I, I I love I love those endings. Um, it's such a such a cool, unique thing in this game. So I guess my question for you with those, like, do those feel thematically appropriate? Like, do those? Are you happy with those endings? Is there anything oh, that you epilogues? were expecting that didn't happen? In the epilogues, or in like the actual concrete ending? In the epilogues, like I I think the game kind of speaks for itself um i yeah, I, I don't yeah. have too many questions about like the plot of the blue lines run it seems pretty um i don't want to say cut cut and dry because that implies that you know there's not a lot going on because there's a shitload going on yeah but yeah. um i i think you did a great job going over it and i, I don't but really every have... every checkoff's gun goes off and that's yes exactly like, yeah that's a great every, way of putting everything it. comes back yeah um, um but in terms of your epilogues that you got are you like happy about it or i really liked them i was surprised i didn't see ash and mercedes coming that is an interesting one. I but even thinking about it now, it's like I don't know how that would work, but sure, that's great. Them inspiring the tradition of baking sweets was very fun. Yeah, um, I love that. And I and I liked that not everyone needed to be together to have a happy ending. You know, like yes. I'm glad that some people has had a cool like you know Annette is like being an awesome teacher. Shamir is Robin Hood. Like that's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's cool that like it's not like. Uh, it's not like they're giving them like orders of importance. Uh, yeah. The only reason they're delivered in an order is like how often you use them in the game. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that felt. It felt like the whole, the whole epilogue is like okay, now we have people in positions of power that are like moral and likable and good and like we're we're making full in a better place through acceptance and not. That's actually Dimitri even says that he's like I want to win this th- war through acceptance and not annihilation. 
um yeah which is hard to mm. go against <laughs> yeah. it's just a shame that it takes like you know a few decades to for him to have that realization right yeah i, I think it worked for the playthrough i think it felt really i'm also glad that it didn't feel too obvious like i i, I didn't even really know that they were going to set up people in that way like mm-hmm. in the epilogues i didn't know that we were going to get an epilogue so like it was a pleasant surprise it's, it's a serious tradition uh, for past Fire Emblem games to kind yeah. of have that Animal House epilogue. Mm-hmm. So I really liked it. I, I think the only thing is like, I don't necessarily feel like I would like me as the player character would like definitely be the new archbishop. Like, I think it's a good, it's good for the story because like, I think that anyone will be better than Rhea from what <laughs> I know now, you know, yeah. but like, I was never like super into the church as a player. So like there are a handful of things just because they do have like by left, the player character's backstory is so bananas. Like that there are some things that are out of your control as like a, as a player. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't get in the way of the bulk of the game, but like every now and then, like there's just something you have to accept about your character that does change things up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I, it wasn't enough to break the deal. Like, I think that, like, it probably makes sense that, like, after the war, like, okay, I've been a professor this whole time. What's a what's a position that I'm probably pretty good at that I have connections with? Archbishop? Cool. I'll Whatever. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. cool. Uh, I'll run the Thieves Guild fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, I uh, that's Blue Lions. I, I'm, like, reliving the memories just talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, Stephen is literally glowing. <laughs> um, Stephen, how about we take a break, and uh, when we come back, I'll talk about Golden Deer, and then um, after that, we do Black Eagles. How's that? That sound? sounds that sounds great. Cool, that sounds perfect. Uh, so let's let's, let's take a break. One hour and twenty minutes into this. Yeah, you're right. This is taking longer than we thought. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Oh, my That's favorite amazing. moment of the whole game, um, I think, was when I didn't know that there were dragons or beasts in it. And did you have to do this mission where you meet the wind caller? Oh, no, I didn't do that. Okay, so there's a mission where you meet a big, a big fucking dragon in the middle of the desert named the wind caller. And he says this, quote, thieves, only by defeating me can you claim the secret treasure. <laughs> and I was like... If anyone saw me playing this game, they'd be like, you fucking nerd. What is this shit? (laughs) Oh, my God. Blah, blah, blah. Dimitri this, Dimitri that. We want Claude, the people yelled. We want Claude. We want Claude. So as someone who is now a little less than halfway through the Golden Deer, I I adore this house. We're talking Golden Deer next. Uh, yep. Claude rules. I want to hear all about him and the deer. Tell me more. And and teach. And teach. Ah, oh, it's so good. That was the reason you wanted to pick Golden Deer originally, right? Was because Claude calls you teach in every circumstance. This might be the nerdiest thing I'll ever say on the show, but if there was like Fire Emblem astrology, I feel like I'm a Golden Deer moon. Like I'm secretly inside. A, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I'm. I'll figure it out. I'll map. I'll map out my chart later. But I think you should figure it out right now. I what. I feel like there's a big part of my outward personality that I associate with the Golden Deer's vibe. Uh-huh. But I feel like I'm a blue lion at heart kind of thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I get that. We're cross between Gryffindor and Hufflepuff, I guess. <laughs> Griff- yeah. Griffin Puff. Griffin Puff. Yeah. Puffin Door. Puffin Door. Hufflepuff? Hufflepuff. 
Anyway, welcome to the Golden Deer. Uh, yeah. This is going to be the vibe of this segment of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no personal drama here. Yeah, uh, really, really, really interesting, good house. Um, I think for me, somebody who hasn't really played these games to completion ever, or really played them more than like two hours at a time ever, um, the Golden Deer, a perfect house to choose first. Um and I think that would be my recommendation for those of you who are like, if you haven't played a Fire Emblem game before, Golden Deer, a wonderful house to pick. Um, because although I would say the game at all is pretty much about the the um, the battle between Fargus and the Adrestan Empire, um, the Golden Deer kind of being on the outset of that kind of makes it a little bit easier to parse um and it kind of gives you a more objective look at what's happening yeah between those two uh between those two sections of fodlin and and you as the golden deer you as a professor the leader of the golden deer working with claude becoming very very close with claude um in an interesting way uh really allows you to help shape what the future of fodlin is going to be um and and i was kind of just like enthralled by it almost the whole time um because it's not you don't you don't have that that darkness of like what's going on with dimitri um and you don't have the like potential genocidal mania of edelgard um (laughs) you know like later which we will which like i i have conflicting feelings about edelgard's whole thing me too but but really the only thing that you have is like the carrot on the stick of of what to think about the golden deer is like the first thing they tell you about Claude is that his smile doesn't make it past his eyes. Um, he, he's smizing, but toe to tip is not a smile. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> right. So there's like something going on with Claude and you don't really know what it is. Like, what is he planning? What, what What's his what's his whole vibe? What is he hiding from people? And that is like really the only major the only the only major like kind of narrative hitch in what's going on with them because you don't really have even within the house those like kind of conflicting relationships the only one who is like kind of pushing up against claude at any point is uh lorenz who is obsessed with being a noble um and and is like who the fuck is this claude guy he just came out of nowhere and suddenly he's supposed to like lead the entire alliance like that doesn't make any sense. Like I have been groomed since birth to be the leader of this thing. Yeah. And, and this, this dude just gets fucking pooped out of a cloud somewhere. Uh, and now he's going to lead us. It doesn't make any sense with his chin strap. But uh, outside of that, like the house and the reason that I, I picked the house is mainly because most people here aren't nobles. Most people are commoners um, and, they, and they have a very like kind of ragtag vibe to them. Everyone in the house tends to be, for the most part, um, kind of just like trying to make do like they all feel extremely lucky and privileged to be uh, at Garrick Mock. They're all like really happy to be there. It's like it's an honor f- for all of them. Oh, yeah. You know, like I think I think that's not even a thing that really comes up in the other houses uh at all is like they they just kind of assume because of their nobility that they'll be able to get into yeah or they don't want to be there you know Um, right or or they don't want to be there who who is um what what is the one commoner's name in um in the black eagles the the opera singer dorothea brings it up all the time how lucky she is to be there especially to be able to study with manuela um who was like her idol yeah ash as well he's the one com oh the dude is also a commoner but he's like kind of the retainer of dimitri 
But Ash right, right. is there because Lord Leonardo is able to pay for him. So like you're right, there is this sense of gratefulness and and humility to all the commoners who are there. Yeah, which is I think really fascinating. Um, and and kind of leads into the overall thematic arc of what's going on with the Golden Deer. You mentioned that uh that that the the Blue Lions are mainly focused on this idea of like wrestling with your past and moving towards like a kind of better future. What's I think fascinating about the Golden Deer is like a lot of their storylines in support dialogue and and just like in terms of the the life goals of all of these people, it's about expectation. It's about things that they either expect of themselves or others expect of them and how they're either going to achieve or subvert those expectations in various ways. Um, pretty much every person is a different way of considering the idea of expectation. Um, and, and I, I find that really powerful. That's a thing that I have thought about personally a lot since I was like in high school and I turned 18 and someone was like, what's your major going to be in college? It's like, hi, I'm in high school. I don't fucking know. (laughs) Why would I know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life at this point? It doesn't make any sense. And that's a thing that I personally have grappled with a lot over the years. Um, So I I was very happy to find that the Golden Deer just happened to also be about that. uh, And that for me, that's what the whole game was about. So I, I guess to kind of like fly through um part one and like if there's anything that you think as you've played this more recently i haven't played this in like maybe a month and a half um if there's anything that you think is like important to note from the beginning i guess let me know Um, i just want to say one kind of blanket statement from my time with the deer so far i really love this house and i think you're right that it's a lot of expectation i think that it helps that you said this is a good house to start with i think it's also i'm enjoying it as a house that i'm ending with because like it is such a interesting change of perspective from the other two. You know, mm. there's no wrong house to start with, but I think some complement the other better than others, depending on like yeah. the immediate order. Um, I will say about the Golden Deer, it is the house that feels the most like they're actually teenagers. Like it feels like, mm. yeah, totally. it's like kind of like the the Breakfast Club house, which we mentioned earlier in the thing. Like it's, you know, yeah. it feels like kids being kids and there's something kind of very relatable about that i think it's relatable because you know like it's still fantasy stuff but like ignatz's struggle of like well my parents want me to be this because it's a secure profession to be a knight but i want to be an artist like who can't relate to that in some way you know yeah maybe not exactly but like the idea of like do i do what is expected of me there it is or do i do what i want to do absolutely so i think that 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 house just has like a very grounded vibe to it, uh, which I really enjoyed. And it has like a fun, like almost coming of age sort of like high school movie vibe to it, which I'm into. Uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, I think it might be worth mentioning, like just going down the list of everyone in this house sure. and just talking about how, how expectation kind of like meets them in a different place. Um, I, I think you bring up a great point with Ignatz where his parents want him to be a knight. And that's, you know, what his uh, his, his father specifically really expects of him um, is, is that he needs to become uh, a knight and 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 protect the family and and join the Knights of Saros and like make it a whole thing. Um, and he is good. He's good at his at his job. He becomes like an incredible archer uh, the more you invest into it. Um, but he has a great eye specifically. That's what makes him a great archer. But it's also what makes him a great painter. Um, and and you very frequently in the beginning of the game. Um, all of the support dialogues, the first early supports are people stumbling upon him painting in places where he's trying to hide that he's painting. 
Um, and literally every single person is like, yo, Ignatz, this is amazing. This yeah. is incredible art. Um, and, and just constantly through reassurance via that, like, just very, um, very positive feedback over and over and over again to see start to realize like maybe this is the actual thing that I should be doing. Um, and then, and then by the end leans into it or not. I don't, I don't know how it goes for other people, but at least for the end of the game, for me, that's kind of where you ended up. Um, but like just an incredible, an incredible turn. Uh, you have Hilda who, who is, um, I guess there isn't really a vassal, uh, for, for Claude in this game. Hilda is the closest that you can get to that in some instances. Um, I, she actually ended up not becoming that in my playthrough, like really at all. Um, she was not the right hand person of Claude, like in any respect. They just like didn't hang out, which I thought was interesting because I kept hearing that that was going to happen at some point, and then it didn't. Um, but her her whole thing uh, is is that she herself is very very good at being lazy. Is kind of her whole shtick. Um, she she is just like very good at kind of like having a thing assigned to her and saying, I'm going to find out how to get out of this. Like she's going to do everything that she possibly can to get out of it. What that actually ends up turning into is, is her realizing that she's incredible at delegating. She's a great leader. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Very frequently in the beginning of the game, she tells you like, I don't want to take part in this battle. She'll just come up to you and be like, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. So like, obviously what do I do as her professor? I put her right in the front lines. I'm going to make her do it over and over again uh, to kind of like, see if I can kind of break her out of that. And that's what happens eventually. She is, she is grappling with the expectation that like she needs to become, uh, you know, a a knight or a leader in some capacity, you know, in the Alliance. Um, and just like is having a hard time rising to meet that expectation. It's not like Ignatz where he literally does not want to do the thing. Hilda is just, I think, having a harder time getting there. It's She's also, having a harder time yeah. reaching that height. It's worth pointing out, too, that she is one of the few nobles, and her brother and father are, like, huge deals in the Alliance. So, like... Yes. She, yes. she at, at first glance, is, like, the spoiled, like, daughter of that family, but, like, like you said, she's got, like, a really good eye for, for people's potential. She's a good leader. Um, mm-hmm. And she also enjoys life. Like, she has a very, like... Uh, you know, I think that it's also like having uh, very simple metaphors, like having the blue lions be about the past uh, and about you know, golden deer, about expectations. It's also about the present. You know, a lot of characters like, what should I be doing right now? You know, how yeah, do I totally. react to my scenario right now? Uh, Claude is always scheming every possible outcome. Again, expectations. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I like Hilda quite a bit. She's one of my favorite characters in the house. Yeah. Every now and then I do this voice where I go, this party sucks. I'm like, that's Hilda <laughs> as a character. That's Hilda. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Next is uh, Leone, who I think is the most overt about her whole deal. Yeah. Uh, because pretty much every single time you talk to her, she talks about how she's incredibly influenced by Captain Gerald, your father. Um, they had a run in together where Gerald lived in uh, the village that she grew up in. <clears throat> for a while and uh and helped hunt the poachers that were that were invading the village uh frequently and uh she kind of took to gerald in like a really strong way and and the idea of becoming a mercenary was kind of all she cared about from that point on um and and that is what 
everything that happens in the game for her is about um i I think more than anyone she she kind of represents the idea of focusing so fully on one thing and becoming that thing right like what happens when you achieve exactly what you want um and and i think that's a fascinating story um i'll talk more about leone later yeah so you're at Raphael. Yes, uh, Raphael, interesting, interesting dude. You will always find him in the food hall. Um, pretty much his whole deal is he wants to protect his sister. He's an orphan. Uh, he and his sister are orphans. And um, he is like, I'm going to be the biggest, strongest knight on the planet so I can protect my little sister. Um, and, and that is pretty much everything that he aspires to be and um and and achieves it so like shout out to to Raphael he pretty much is the biggest strongest person in the entire place um you know at at the expense of uh studying tactics uh which is you know a, a big part of his arc um in your as Byleth in your supports with him um which is interesting we already talked about Ignatz. Uh, Lorenz is a very interesting dude in that he sucks. Um, his whole, <laughs> but he sucks for a very specific reason. I think so. Beyond, you know, his his um, proclivity for frequently bringing up his nobility uh, and how he feels about it uh, and how much he loves being a noble, um, he is also really looking for a wife. Um, like from go from the beginning of this game that is his whole vibe uh, and and I feel like he gets lumped in with Sylvain a lot for that reason because yeah, Sylvain is kind of absolutely. like a gross dude um, what you come to realize the more you talk to Lorenz and there are there is literally a support dialogue uh, that you have with him where it's like you gotta cut the shit man you, yeah like, you, I, I, I had that one yeah. yeah you need to cool it and it doesn't really end in a, in a satisfying way and what I came to find o- over the course of the rest of my playthrough is he is the way he is because of the way his family expects him to live up to the Gloucester name. He is like the most noble of the nobles in the Alliance um, and they they need him uh, or, or at least they think they need him to carry on that legacy. Um, and And he has pretty much just absorbed that entire mentality like a sponge and just kind of parrots it without thinking i think um and and uh i think depending on how you play the game that can end in a satisfying or unsatisfying way um and and for me it was very satisfying and i'll, I'll talk about why um after that's lysithia lysithia uh the youngest person in the entirety of garag mock uh, with the exception of flane who comes in later but she is the youngest here uh, and and everyone kind of treats her that way. But she has high expectations for herself. She wants to be treated as an adult, um, maybe not an adult, but at least on the level of everyone else. Um, yeah. And uh, frequently makes that known. Um, she has an extremely brutal backstory. I don't know if you yeah. if you've hit that point yet with her or if you know about it. So she has two crests. She has two and crests. I know that. Yeah. Uh, that's the result of some type of experimentation similar to what we'll get to with Edelgard, with Edelgard. Is why they both have the white hair. Yes. Um, Extremely similar. And apparently, tell me more though about Lysithia. I haven't, I've only gotten just the beginning of that. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much what happened is, is in her, her, I guess mansion or whatever. Um, a group of scientists just showed up one day 
locked them all inside everyone who lived there and just started running experiments on them and they couldn't escape they were prisoners in their own oh house my God. um and just continued to run experiments and lysithia was um the one that lived um and uh has two crests now one of them just happens to be the gloucester crest the lorenz's crest which has some implications that are explored. Oh wow! And last in in the uh, in the Golden Deer is Marianne, um, emo queen, I think, as as people refer to her <laughs> on, online, uh, which is wonderful. Uh, she's she's just a, an extremely quiet person. Um, she uh, she's adopted uh, adopted by a a very strong knight. Um, and weirdly expects that of Marianne. Uh, it is revealed over time that she has the ability to talk to animals, uh, which is <laughs> fascinating. Um, yeah. And and just has a has a wonderful arc of of coming out of her shell. Um, yeah, I've 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 liked her character quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, she's she's interesting, and and uh, probably the person that I spent the most time interacting with in the game in the early stage because I was so curious about like what was going on with her, um, and, yeah. and if there was a way to kind of help her um, become acclimated to to Garrick Mock and the people around her, and I found it extremely rewarding to do so over time. That's the thing. I feel like with this game, like. The characters that don't immediately win you over are like planting a lot of seeds of intrigue to either like, you know, in in Marianne's case to be like, okay, what's her deal? Like, what's her story? Like, why is she, you know, not not necessarily why is she so quiet, but like because she's so quiet, we don't know where her story is. Right. So like you want to see more of that. Similar to Bernadetta, where she's like in her room all the time. It's like, what's going on here? Yeah. Um, Then you have characters like Lorenz, where it's like is there redemption here? You know, is it possible to see a different side of this character? So like, yeah. even if characters aren't immediately likable or known, the game makes you want to get to know everyone, mm-hmm. which I think is just another brilliant point to give the game. Yeah. I think, I think all, what you'll notice about the golden deer specifically is like in none of those stories, is it like, Oh, Leone hates uh, Lysithia or or you know Hilda is angry at Claude because of a thing that happened when they were both children like the way the um, the Lester alliance is set up is is essentially just like a group of nobles who kind of just all vote on things um, and, and because of that is kind of what the house feels like in a strange way is like everyone is kind of separate but on the same level playing field um, you know maybe not totally level and there are problems with the way the Lester alliance is run obviously Um but but the the house is pretty much on an even keel like they're they're pretty chill uh which is which is great it's just really a great thing that is so worth pointing out because like there's the those ensemble scenes that all the houses have where like again with the with the blue lions dimitri's definitely talked to in a different way but dimitri's also always like talk to me as your equal like that's his whole thing uh before he gets an eye patch <laughs> but right. but then after he redeems himself uh in yeah. and, and obviously with the with the golden deer it's a very equal podium i guess i don't know yeah it's yeah you you said it you said it well yeah so as as far as the story goes there's like not a whole lot really that deviates from uh the main storyline the main overarching storyline in part 1 that i've really noticed i don't know because you've done it more recently if if there's anything that you wanted to point out but for the most part like you are just following the beats of the story. Um, you know, you're running into the Flame Emperor. Uh, is it the Flame Emperor? Is that the name? Yes. 
yes. you're running into the flame emperor you're running into um the people who we then find out are called those who slither in the dark a whole bunch uh flame gets kidnapped somebody else gets kidnapped there's like all this stuff going on um a mysterious girl appears um when you rescue flame you also rescue somebody else who suddenly oh, monica yeah, yeah who suddenly joins the black eagles and that's not suspicious <laughs> at all um and then, yeah it's like whenever it's, she's like hanging out with edelgard and huber and edelgard and huber always like oh could you give us a moment and she's like i'm not doing anything yeah. it's like this is gonna end in my dad dying yeah it's it's very strange um yeah but i i do think uh the most interesting person in the golden deer to focus on for me at least was leone uh throughout that that early phase because of her uh her like kind of almost obsession with Gerald as a person um and the way that that bounces off of you because in the beginning of the game at least through like all of part one like you're kind of just like things are happening to you you're you are reacting to things um and and there's not really like a whole lot of uh influence you have over anything beyond just like teaching your students um, so for me, I wasn't as interested in the main story as I was about like just kind of learning more about myself as a character. Um, and what I found really interesting and striking about Leone during that early phase before things really fucking go off the deep end and an actual war starts is like the thing that she always comes at you about is like you don't know anything about your dad. You don't know anything about yourself. Who the fuck are you? Why do you exist? Why why are you the person that got to hang out with Gerald constantly? Like I'm the person who cared about him and and yeah. you don't know shit about him. Like you took him for granted and at that at a certain point he dies and she gets angry at you after he dies. To her her first support and I know that some people are angry about this online. I think that's dumb. I think you're misreading it. Just to be completely frank. But her her support as soon as he dies is pretty much like doubling down on on her anger at you that you didn't uh you you didn't earn his mentorship essentially um because you're not even sure there's a conversation where she's like are you even his son like can you even like look me in the eye and tell me that you're his son and and your responses are that's what i'm told and i don't know which is like it's almost like they've like meta written the character to be like a the person assuming the role of this character that has previously existed. Yes. But like we as a player don't have any knowledge of the of the father. So it's like we can't really say. Yeah. You know? So I, I was just like really struck by that idea that they yeah. that, that the writers of this game were trying to explore the idea, hey, the players don't know anything until we tell them. So we can literally have somebody get angry at them about not knowing about their own past. Like I just thought that yeah. was like such a fascinating thing to try and do um and as you talked about at the beginning of this like that is just another way that this game doubles down on being a game and like exploring the idea of being a game and i just thought that was fascinating so there's the obvious like whole thing that happens edelgard is revealed as the flame emperor and then the war starts and and you know there's the whole battle that happens you wake up five years later uh, floating down a river an old farmer finds you and is like hey buddy you should go up to garrick mock and then you go back up um and and <laughs> guess who's there it's 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 claude he's hanging out and he's a chin strap now and it looks bad uh but he's still yeah. claude and you still don't really know much about him you just know that he's starting to trust you 
uh, even if you're not trusting him. At least I wasn't as much still at this point. I was like, he seems like a nice guy, but I still don't know his whole deal. Yeah. All I really knew about Claude throughout all of part one was that he kind of had like an inkling that something was strange about Rhea and the church and that he was ex- yeah. he was exploring it in his own time. Um, whenever you go into his room, it's filled with books. He's he's doing a lot of studying and you don't know about what, but he asks a lot of questions about Rhea um, and and a lot of questions about you and your relationship to the church and like how you became a professor so suddenly and things like that. And like he's almost asking the questions that you should be asking. Yeah, because you and I talked about this like pretty much immediately when we started playing the game. But like I didn't trust Rhea as far as like thrower like I, I hadn't. No, very sketchy. The Church of Saros and is like very sketchy. F- one of the first missions is to silence that rebellion, and like every house feels bad about it. Mm-hmm. Like every house, like the students, are like that didn't feel good. I don't really trust Rhea. Like she, like these people didn't seem like because the first fight you have are thieves, and like all the students deal with that in their own way. They're like, oh, I just killed someone, but like they're thieves. Yeah, so. I can put up that emotional wall or at least try to. Um, but with that rebellion, like everyone's kind of view of both the church and of war and of their purpose there is shattered. So like, yeah, yeah it's, it's the game is purposely trying to make you question Rhea's role in this story. I will say that having played the other two houses in part one of golden deer, there are notably more scenes that reference both the church and what the church is trying to hide. Like this, like that scene in the library where Claude is like looking at the drawings of the immaculate one. Yep. That's all golden deer specific stuff, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he's in the library kind of looking up like old fairy tales that, that took place in Fodlin and like trying to prove out if they're real or not. And literally as he starts to uncover things, they get taken away from him. Like the, you watch the church actively cover up things that are supposed to be fables um and 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 remove them from the library which is very fascinating so just like going into part two with all that knowledge that like claude has been looking into this a whole bunch um has found some stuff but you're not super sure what um and 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 you roll up on him and he's like hey man i knew you'd show up you know he's like i i'm here i i thought you died but i was sure you'd show up ray is gone she's missing whatever maybe we'll find her maybe not like it depends on kind of how you're feeling uh on this specific day (laughs) Uh, but that said, you know, there's a bunch of thieves, a bunch of bandits here in Garrick Mock, and I think you and I should take them out, you know, just old time's sake. Uh, you know, you agree. It's much nicer than the whole Dimitri debacle you talked about. I was about to say, yeah, it's night and day. It is night and day. Uh, and uh, you start doing it, and like pretty much immediately, you're like, oh, this was a bad idea. Like, we are rusty. We are not good at yeah. this. Um, and luckily, people start returning one by one. Everybody starts to arrive. Um, which is just just wonderful, just a wonderful thing. It's a great moment. It's it's one of my favorite moments in the game, if not my favorite. I moment. will say it doesn't have the same weight in the Golden Deer that it probably does in the Blue Lions because Dimitri is so fucking gone that yeah. that like it is up in the air if they're gonna show up or not. Anyway, in the Golden Deer, like you start that mission, and it's like of course they're gonna show up. You know, like of course they will. Yeah. Um, the moment when it happens, I still was smiling ear to ear because it was so fun. But it, but it wasn't like a will they, won't they situation. Yeah, I mean, because I was like, because I will say, I also having played, uh, I haven't gotten to the time skip yet in Golden Deer, so like I haven't seen the full potential of Claude, but Dimitri feels like the most powerful 
house leader. Yes. Like he's kind of a maniac. Like you can, I give him a javelin and throw him in the middle of the map and he just destroys everything. Yeah, he gained, it's his, his crest allows him to gain experience twice as fast as everyone else in the game. Right. Isn't that his deal? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's unbelievably powerful. Yeah. Ilgard is too, but Dimitri feels the most broken. So I said that because like, I'm like, okay, it doesn't feel impossible that, he and I can do this alone, but it's going to be really hard. Right. Like, do I want to, you know, do I want to be alone with this guy? Yeah. Kind of thing? Yeah, totally. Um, in, in the case of the, the golden deer and, and going through that mission, it was kind of like an, of course situation. It, it's worth mentioning that for my playthrough, I, I recruited a uh, Mercedes from the blue lions and I also recruited Ingrid. And those were the only two recruits that I had were those two Mercedes specifically just because I wanted a healer because I was planning on making Marianne the dancer. Uh, I see. And then uh, Ingrid, I just thought was cool. <laughs> Honestly, just the, as I as I went Ingrid's around awesome. talking to everyone, I was like, I know I want to recruit somebody else before the time skip, uh, and I don't know who. And then just like the more I talked to Ingrid, I was like, she's kind of a badass. I, I want her yeah. in here. And she actually, we'll talk about more this later, but she has a lot of fun supports with the house, including Claude. She's the, I think like Claude's the only house leader that has supports with like other students, I think. Oh, um, interesting. Because they all like, all the students have supports with students of the same house and the leader, but then they'll have like two or three with the other houses mm. and, and like Ingrid and Claude have like, like a B and C like they have like a ton of scenes together. Yeah, they do. It's weird. Um, yeah. It's also worth mentioning that I kind of like unintentionally because I didn't really know how to play fire emblem game. So I just thought that this was how you're supposed to do it. I got max support with every character with every other character. That's just how I played yeah. the game. That's how it happened for me, too. It kind of happens just naturally, honestly. Yeah. Like, in this game in particular. Because there's less of an emphasis on it. Even though the scenes are, like, meatier. They're not just like, hey, like, I've noticed you're on camp. Want to get married? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're, they're like, they're adding to the plot. Um, some of them are lighthearted, but, you know, like... They they feel more purposeful. They didn't just give everyone five scenes for no reason. Yeah. You know, some characters only have one or two scenes together. Right. So after after the time skip happens and, and you all reignite at Garrick Mach, um, the question then becomes like what it what is next for Fodlin? Because the Empire is sure killing a shitload of people. Um Fargus is pretty much gone. Dimitri yeah. is presumed dead at that point. Um, yeah, there is like kind of a shell of a of a kingdom of Fargus that exists um, and they are still at war with with the address and empire. But it's very clear that like the days of, of Fargus are pretty much numbered um, and Claude ever the schemer. His whole vibe is that he is like always playing out every single possible option for every single thing at all times. He is planning for every eventuality he has a contingency for everything is like we can take advantage of that it starts with us rebuilding garrig mock as our, our home base in the middle of everything so we can both keep an eye on what's happening with fargus and also while edelgard is focused on getting rid of fargus and not focused on the empire uh, on 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 the alliance um sneak in go right to the source and take her out um, so what Dimitri wanted to do, but just with no plan, <laughs> right? This imagine, imagine if Dimitri had like a fully formed and fleshed out plan to do exactly the thing that he wanted to do. Um, yeah, that is, that is, that is Claude's whole vibe in this. Um, and you know, there, there, there are a bunch of missions 
that happen that are kind of like I don't know. Uh, I don't want to say ineffective, but they don't really like push the plot super far forward. They yeah. they just every once in a while throw somebody from the Black Eagles at you just to show you that you're going to have to kill some people from the Black Eagles, essentially. Um, but the big moment, again, is is the Battle of Grander Field. Um, and that is a huge scene for the Golden Deer because you show up to a battle in progress between Fargus and and uh, and the Black Eagles um, and find that not only is Dimitri alive, but so is everyone else from the Blue Lions. They're all there at that battle. Um, so I did an interesting thing just because I assumed that you could, where the first thing I did was go up to Dimitri and just completely ignore that the Black Eagles were even there. Just go up to Dimitri with Claude, myself and Claude. I was like, let's the two of us will go up here and talk to Dimitri and like figure out how we can like team up and fucking get rid of Edelgard, right? Like, yeah. if we can team up with what's left of Fargus, like we're gonna have a much better shot um, at 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 taking the Address and Empire down. And I I went up there, and Dimitri does not want to talk to you at all. He is he is the Boar Prince, like yeah. through and through, and he turns on you immediately. Um, wow! And and you have to take him out. You have to take him out. You have to take Dimitri and the Blue Lions out. And that's what I did first. The first thing I did was I wiped out all the Blue Lions, um, which was like <laughs> fucking brutal because I didn't want yeah. to. I did not want to yeah, do that. Yeah, same thing with the Golden Deer. Yeah. I, I went there specifically to avoid doing that um, and, and then eventually had to. And then obviously you turn on the Black Eagles and, and take them all out, um, which didn't feel too bad because they're pretty much Nazis. Uh, at least it, that's how they're framed. Um, in, in, in the context of that story, yeah, in the context yeah. of the golden deer story, that's kind of their vibe. Um, so just like wiping them all out with the exception of Bernadetta, who that sucked. <laughs> that was like such a fucking bummer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but, uh, there are really great students in that house, but the faction they are fighting for is absolutely <laughs> yes. <laughs> how you painted it. Yeah. Um, you make it through that battle and Hilda comes up to you while you're talking to Claude about like next moves and Hilda's just like, I just saw the worst thing I've ever seen in my whole life. Like I am disgusted. I'm sad. Like I don't even know what to do about it. And by prodding, she eventually reveals to you that she watched after, after you had finished that battle, uh, Edelgard is still alive and, and Dimitri had also survived that fight and crawling on the ground with his lance in his hand, tried to make his way to Edelgard to go kill her, and then got beheaded on the spot. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Wow. Dedu, also alive, watching this, could not fucking handle it, and immediately splits. He just leaves. Oh wow. Does He's like, I'm not going to try and fight Edelgard. I'm, ju- I'm just out. I'm just like, I'm fully out. Like, I, I guess he, he just like couldn't handle it. So so Dimitri gets killed off screen during the Battle of Grander Field, um, recounted to you via Hilda. Um, and you're pretty much just like, well, shit, the kingdom of Fargus is gone now. There is no Fargus. Yeah, it is us against them. This is the worst case scenario. The the attention of the Adrestan Empire is now completely turned on us because they know we exist and we know they know that we're doing this um, and we're going to have to do some wild shit. Um, and it turns out that the wild shit that Claude has been planning all along is including 
uh, groups of of warriors from outside of Fodlan to join and 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 fight this fight. Um, like Almira and, and the other nations. Yep. Yeah. Hell yeah. What's fascinating about Claude as you as you continue to go down that storyline is that that dude has a very specific goal and he has this whole time in the same way they mentioned that that uh, Edelgard has always known exactly what she needed to do and she you know was the flame emperor the whole time she was planning all of this from before she even showed up at Garrig Mach um, Claude similarly has thought to himself I am going to be a leader of the Lesser Alliance and the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to unite Fodlin and I'm going to wipe out all the barriers and I'm going to prevent people from having um I'm going to try and like kind of erase the stigma that if you come from outside of Fodlin, you suck because like that's apparently yeah. the vibe in all of Fodlin is like if you're from Elmira or anywhere else, um, you are you are less than in some way. Uh, and, and it turns out that the big reveal for Claude, uh, do you mind me spoiling this for you? No, go for it. It turns out that the big reveal for Claude is just that he is from outside of Fodlin. He just was so worried about what people would think about him if he if he. Uh, if he revealed that information that he wouldn't be given the opportunity and the chance to, to remove that stigma himself beforehand. Um, so, oh, wow. so he, he tells you this kind of in confidence, um, and is like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be the leader of the lesser lines and this is going to be the plan. This is exactly what I'm going to do. Um, and his obsession with the church specifically was they were the one unknown he could plan for everything. He had he had a he had a way to climb the ladder to the top, but the only thing standing in his way was that the church was so secretive and so fucking sketchy that he was like, I need to figure out what the hell is going on so I can plan for this. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. if I try and unite Foland and break down these barriers, is the church gonna suddenly raise an army that I don't know about? Is like some wild holy shit gonna show up? You know, or, or meteors going to fall from the sky or the, or the stars going to explode. Like what's going to happen? Um, so his obsession with that is, is purely like fact finding. So he can achieve this goal of just unifying the planet, which is like so optimistic and so hopeful. And, and like in the face of war is like such a such a kind of bright thing to, to fly a flag uh, above. Um, yeah. And uh, and and that is that is pretty much what the rest of the game is it's very similar to what you were talking about with the blue lions you eventually make your way into edelgard's palace you take her out she does not turn into a giant beast um (laughs) but you take her out you take hubert out and um when you take hubert out there is a uh there's a letter oh shit i can't believe i didn't mention this they do uh, arrives at edelgard's palace while you're fighting um he shows up again and he's like, you know what? I'm going to finish the fight for Dimitri. Uh, and he shows up and at a different angle of the palace and, um, and, and fights alongside you. Oh my God. I'm so happy to hear yeah, that. He, that he, rules. he fights alongside you on your way to Edelgard and then splits, you know, afterwards. Um, he's like, cool. I did the thing that Dimitri wanted. I'm out. I'm good now. Wow. I'm so happy. He's going to do you control him or is it just an ally? Just an ally. It's cool, hard to cool. keep him alive. I had to. I had to rewind time a lot to keep him alive. You know, that's my one mission. Mm-hmm. Once I once I get to that point, totally. Um, <laughs> I have a life oath to do, to, to do. <laughs> um, once you beat Edelgard and you beat and you beat Hubert, Hubert has a letter on him indicating that he has learned about those who slither in the dark. It's a it's a kind of like evil society that exists. Um, they are the big bads of the whole game. 
Um, yeah. And Claude saying, oh, this is the thing. This is the thing I've been searching for. It's like, we're, we're going to go kill him. We're going to go take him out. And then there are no what ifs anymore um, because they're holding Rhea captive. They learn uh, Rhea is still alive and she's she's in their custody. Um, and he's like, if we free her, uh, she's going to owe us. She's going to owe us all the answers that we need. Uh, so we can kind of kill two birds with one stone in that in that regard. We can take out the overarching evil of Fodlin while simultaneously making Rhea so in our debt that she'll have to tell us all the secrets that we need um, to figure out how to unite Fodlin. Um, and uh, you go do that. You go to like what is essentially fucking <laughs> Tron, uh, which is wild. I don't know if you. Oh, yeah, because that's the it's so like from what I gather, it's like the 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 first battle in the very beginning of the game nemesis versus seros mm-hmm. who is revealed to be Rhea yep. in the black eagles house yeah I mean, you probably figured that out too um there was like a there was a city that got like pretty technologically powerful which is what edelgard uses to mask her voice as the flame emperor mm-hmm. she like uses so that's what the tron okay keep going i was, I was linking all of them together. yeah yeah totally i like uh in my room with like newspaper articles and string like yeah you know highlighting things yeah uh wow um yeah so you go in you take out those who slither in the dark and uh you free raya and and your last conversation essentially is just like all right raya spill it what's the deal (laughs) what's yeah she tells you that she's the goddess obviously um you learn a whole lot about yourself well yeah she's she's saros yeah right she's saros um you learn about yourself you you uh essentially Raya knew where the heart of what it, what is the Sothis the, where the heart of Sothis, Sothis yeah. existed. Um, and when Geralt and his wife uh, first had the protagonist, uh, Raya snuck in and, and re- like did a fucking surgery on you as a baby and replaced your heart with the heart of Sothis, um, which is, you know, why you can do all the things that you can do. Yeah. Uh, and that's what embeds the crest in you. Um, and uh, essentially she's like, yeah, I, that's 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 my whole deal. Um, it's it's kind of honestly um, a little bit underwhelming, I think. Well, she does that so she could bring Sothis back to life. She was going to use you as a vessel to bring her mother back. Yes, exactly. Because, yes. Yeah. Um, and then it, you know, that obviously ends up not happening. Um. But uh, yeah, at, at the end of the day, like I, I found it a little bit underwhelming, but I, I still loved the story so much. I didn't really care. Like I loved all the characters yeah. and then it was immediately followed up by the epilogue, which was like the best part of the whole game for me. Um, so I didn't really mind uh, to be totally honest um, that it just got like kind of batshit at the end because I don't know, it's a fucking JRPG. Like, of course, it's going to get wild and weird, you know? Um, yeah, I don't I don't need every answer to be. Um, I don't know incredible um but that said i do want to go through my epilogue is that okay yeah please were there any other boss fights or is that it Hmm, i think that was it don't you fight nemesis oh yeah you do fight nemesis i completely forgot that you fight nemesis (laughs) it's fine they were seeing that it's fine yeah it's fine i did it so quickly you know it's whatever yeah um wow anyway let's talk about marriages yeah let's hear it um so what I love about this, uh, just keep in mind all the things I said about all the people in the house and like their expectations and what they all want, because they really, yeah. they really play into this. 
um, in, in a fascinating way. It is worth mentioning also, on top of everything else, um, Flane, in my epilogue, similar to yours, it's interesting, it starts off the same way. She disappears. You know how yours is like, oh, she disappears, and then she shows yeah. up again? Um, in mine, she, dis- she just leaves. <laughs> she never comes back. <laughs> wow. Interesting. I, I was so surprised. It, um, it, it ends with uh, people forget that she ever existed, essentially. Oh, jeez. I know. All right. So, like, why? I did not expect that at all. Um, yeah. But anyway. Um, the first marriage. Lorenz and Mercedes. What? Okay. Interesting. I know. Uh, Mercedes has like surprise husbands in our in our place. I know. I was really surprised by yours. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love this. I love this so okay. much. So throughout their supports, their supports are essentially Lorenz obviously coming on to Mercedes uh, immediately because he has no fucking chill and sucks uh, in the beginning. And <laughs> yeah. um, Mercedes just being like, you know, I'm a commoner, right? Like this, this can't work because you're obsessed with nobility and you have to marry a noble. And, and Lorenz just kind of talking about like how important it is that that his his nobility remain intact and that whoever he marries has to be good for House Gloucester. Um, and, uh, every single support is kind of her knocking that wall down for him is, is her kind of like proving repeatedly like, yo, you can't, you can't look at people that way. It doesn't make fucking sense. Like people are people, um, just because they have money doesn't mean they're better than anyone else. It's, there's a stupid thing to say. And it ends, it ends with Lorenz like agreeing with her. And, and once he finally admits that she's like, guess what? Sucker. I am a noble. You shit. I've been a noble this whole time. <laughs> that rules. It's so good. I love that. So here's a. So I just I love that thematically as an end to Lorenz's shittiness. You know, I think I yeah. think it's like it's actually a pretty good, uh, a pretty good like, just kind of bow tie on the, on that whole situation. Um. So here's what it says: After the war, Mercedes accompanied Lorenz back to his homeland. There, the young heir petitioned his father, Count Gloucester, to permit the couple to marry. Though the Count initially disapproved of Mercedes' status as, uh, status as a commoner, she technically is a commoner, but she was born as a noble. Um, yeah. He was persuaded by her virtues as a person to change his mind. In fact, he praised Lorenz for having a taste and character superior to his own. After Lorenz succeeded his father as lord of the territory, the couple finally wed. With Lorenz's stern approach to governance and Mercedes' open mind, House Gloucester flourished under their rule. Hell yeah. That's amazing. Isn't that awesome? That's so good. I love it. Um, next. Keep them coming. Next, Marianne and Hilda. Oh, hell yeah. I love this. After returning to their respective homes, Hilda and Marianne stayed in touch and deepened their friendship through letters. Hilda informed Marianne that her passion for crafting fashionable accessories had given her the idea to start an, art, um, an artisan academy. And in response, Marianne pledged the financial support of the house of Margrave Edmund. Soon, artisan schools began to appear all over Fodlin, producing talented craftsmen and high-quality trade goods, which contributed greatly to the prosperity of Fodlin. The accessories sent to Marianne personally by Hilda became some, became some of the most highly valued treasures in history. Next, Raphael and Ignatz. Hell yeah. Love this. Right? These all yeah. worked out so well. Uh, they really did. So it's worth mentioning that um, Raphael and Ignatz have really interesting supports. Have you seen them yet? I've seen two of them. Uh, C and B. So pretty much the whole idea with there with that is um, at a certain point in time, Ignatz's parents were supposed to 
um, in some capacity act as like bodyguards for a noble somewhere uh, and couldn't for some reason because of, because of something that Ignatz had done like as a baby like Ignatz was literally a baby and like maybe was crying or something and like they couldn't yeah. do it maybe he was sick maybe he had an ear infection like who knows um, and because of that Raphael's parents had to go and in that outing they both died and that is why Raphael is an orphan Ignatz is harboring a lot of guilt about that um, and and the back and forth between them is really fascinating because Raphael starts off initially just being like, dude, you were a baby. Why are you guilty about this? It's not your fault that this happened. Um, it's also not even your parents fault that this happened. Like it's not it's it, it's just a thing that happened and you don't need to feel any particular way about it because you're kind of not involved even. Um, yeah. And the more he brings it up, kind of the more angry Raphael gets. It's the only time you see him show any emotion beyond like like hunger <laughs> really in the whole game <laughs> hunger and joy yeah. he's very hufflepuff in that yeah, way yeah totally um it's just a fascinating back and forth um of them like becoming friends so anyway uh Raphael returned to his hometown to serve his liege lord as a knight and spent his spare time helping out at the inn that his family had opened during his time away he was compelled to give up knighthood and manage the inn full time however when his sister maya suddenly declared her ambition to become an artist and vanished Years later, when she finally returned, she did so with the company of another artist, her husband, Ignatz. With cheerful support from Raphael's family, Ignatz and his wife rose to prominence and, with their unique style, set the artistic paradigm in Fodlin for a generation. That is incredible. How fucking I love that. good is it? I'm giddy. That's I'm, so just, good. I'm giddy just thinking about it. <laughs> oh my god. Wow. I'm so More, the people yelled. More. I'm so excited for you to hear this next one. Yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, Claude and Ingrid. Oh, okay, cool. I set the stage for this before. You, did. you seem like you're hiding something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, entrusting the future of Fodlin to his friends, Claude left for Elmira with Ingrid, whom he intended to marry. He announced this fact to his father, the king of Elmira, who approved of Claude's strength and Ingrid's virtue and resolved to entrust the monarchy to them. Even after they ascended to the throne, Claude and Ingrid argued frequently. But while the queen, uh, but while the queen chasing the fleeing king through the palace was a common occurrence, the couple must have loved one another deeply, for they happily raised many children together. Um, Amazing. Their supports specifically are literally just them yelling at each other constantly. Yeah, that's what I've experienced so far. It's great. Um, wonderful. Wow, what a beautiful epilogue. I can see what you mean. Where it's like, what else could I want from this yes. cast? Yeah. You know. Um, so good. I like Hilda and Marianne together because when you select them in combat, Hilda goes, who, me? Yeah. And Marianne goes, me? Yeah. <laughs> like they, they both say the same thing. It's great. Uh, my last one. Uh, this is the one that I, I, I made happen specifically because it felt the most thematically appropriate was, was Byleth yeah. and Leone. Um, oh, wow. Who, Leone, by the way, becomes the Blade Breaker 2, which is great because it's, it's Gerald was the Blade Breaker. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, Byleth announces marriage to Leone shortly after becoming the leader of the United Kingdom of Fodlin. Interesting shift there. Wow. Um, though she accepted the status of queen, Leone disliked the pageantry of the position and refused to part with her weapons. She avoided court and instead founded the Gerald Company, an elite group of soldiers handpicked from the Royal Guard. They mostly, busy, uh, they mostly busied themselves by hunting down bandits and monsters, but they also stopped the remnants of the Imperial Army from organizing a revolt. 
It is rumored that one knight of rare skill who fought alongside Leone in the Gerald Company was none other than the king himself. Oh, wow. I love that. The end. What a good epilogue. <laughs> That's beautiful. I'm so happy you had that experience with this game. Steven, those were literally the perfect endings. Like, I think, <laughs> I think about them all the time. Like, if I hadn't gotten those exact endings, I don't think I would have liked the game as much by the time I finished it. And I know that thinking that is dumb because they hand wrote satisfying endings for every person. So like if I had gotten different matchups, it still would have been good. But for some reason, like the Lorenz one in particular really stands out to me as like, I just happened to get very lucky in the way that that played out. Um, The, the Raphael and Ignatz, I did not think that that was going to be the pairing by the end. And that ended up working out just beautifully because that was kind of the support thing that I was the most intrigued by, I think of everyone. Yeah. Um, it was awesome. It was so good. I loved it. I loved it. Steven. That's so good. This yeah, is I'm the, really excited to. F- oh, this ahead. is the first Fire Emblem game I've ever finished. I think I'm going to play it a second time. Um, this game is amazing. I mean, you talked about it in the beginning <laughs> when I asked you, you know, how do you feel about this game? Like I, this is one of the best games I've ever played. Like easily, easily. Wow. I'm so happy to hear I that. Just can't, I can't believe yeah, it's it a Fire Emblem game. That and that's the thing is like even as a fan of the series, like yes, it definitely it definitely hits the mark on what you want from a Fire Emblem game, but it feels like a different series. Like I would I wouldn't say like like there are other games like uh like we've talked about Persona all the time. Like Persona Five is the like best made one. Yeah. But I would tell someone who finished it to check out four or three, mm-hmm. right? I would be like, oh, if you like that, check the other ones. I don't know for a fact, like maybe Awakening would be the one I'd say, but like you're not going to get anything from Awakening that wasn't done here. Yeah. And like it's like in a different solar system of writing. Yeah. And like, oh, yeah, absolutely. It ha- it, you know, it, ha- it has the like the, the corniness of some moments, and, like the humor and all that, but like all the time skip stuff is like in another realm yeah totally <laughs> like the you never had a scene like the the highs and the lows the the like horrific you mentioned Demetri getting beheaded as he crawled desperately towards Edelgard like and that's it's and that's what's fascinating is like f- to my ears I'm like that's what would have happened if the professor wasn't there you know when you play the yes. other houses you can kind of see what would happen without your guidance like what would happen without you helping these people right. um and it's it's really wonderful. Um, do you want to take a small break and then we'll do uh, Black Eagles and questions? Yeah, I think that works. Cool. I'll see you in a bit. Goodbye, Steven. Goodbye. Brendan, uh, we're going to now discuss the Black Eagles. Yeah. Uh, the third house. Uh, we're both like trepidatious even of talking about it, I think, because you and I, I think, clearly both so aligned with our first picks mm-hmm. that like, um, uh, I will say, uh, so you just started your playthrough. I have finished uh, my second playthrough was Black Eagles and I chose the Edelgard route, which I will discuss. Yeah. So how far are you into it? Like not at all. Like I, okay. ju- I like I just started. chose the Black Eagles. <laughs> gotcha. So I'll 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 go through the uh, quick strokes for this. Um, I will say like we we've talked a lot about you know what goes into picking a house. Um, this is the most popular house. A lot of people chose Black Eagles. A lot of people really love them. 
I really enjoyed my playthrough of this, but for extremely different reasons. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think, I think what ends up happening is for, if you don't choose the black Eagles, you will want to play as them next because you're just like, well, I want to see what the other perspective is. Cause yeah. like you said, it's not too hard to fight against the empire just inherently. And even though it's sad to fight the students, like you don't really get to know them if you didn't recruit any. Right. Uh, and even, even still, like there are a lot of characters that don't even have supports with some of the black Eagles. Like there's only a handful of black Eagle students that have like Bernadetta, Dorothea, Petra, and I think Caspar maybe are the ones that have like at least one or two in every house. Some just like yeah. don't <laughs> mm. like, uh, and you, in Hubert, obviously in, in Edelgard are, you can't recruit. So, um, but I will say like, I went into this playthrough. I, I, I was like, cause I wanted to play the first time, like close to myself in terms of like my actions taken. Yeah. Like what I would, what I would choose to do. And this one, I was like, I'm going to play more of a character as Byleth. You know, I'm going to, mm. I want to like it. And I, I still ended up playing close to myself, but like, I think I'll, I'll get into sort of the choices and the role playing and all that. Yeah. Um, I was just about to ask how, how would you differentiate between those two? Cause I, I don't think, I can't think of a situation in which I decided to like role play versus playing as myself in any meaningful capacity. There weren't too many choices like that, at least for me, but I'm interested. I guess there are some, there are some points in an RPG where it's like, am I playing close to myself or am I, or am I playing in a way to see what is going to happen? Right. So uh, like inherently, okay. inherently choosing the black Eagles after playing the blue lions. I'm like, well, I'm just, I'm more curious than I am. Like, that's it. I'm all in on the address empire. Yeah. Uh, right. So I will say there's a lot of really great students in this house. Uh, the vibe is completely different. Um, I'll say right off the bat, if the, if the thematic focus on blue, on blue lions is the past and it's expectation on the golden deer, this is the house that is entirely about the future. Uh, it is entirely about the future. Everyone in this house, except for Dorothea is a noble from a very powerful noble family. Cause that's the thing you get a lot about the class differences. Like even within the commoners, like you have the different merchant families and like you get a sense that like Leone is like someone who probably does like a lot of camping and like is very like equipped to like live in the woods probably. (laughs) Whereas like Ignatz is like kind of like, you know, like a, probably lived in like the medieval equivalent of the suburbs, right? Like he's just like a little yeah. boy who likes to paint. Um he's great. I love Ignatz. But the no the nobles in the Addressing Empire are like those are the one percenters, right? Like totally everyone in that house is a child of a very powerful noble. And that's especially important because you see more than any other house how fucked up it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's really sad because a lot of Bernadetta's supports are really funny because she's, like, cartoonishly timid and, like, is always accusing people of being, like, you know, uh, like, scheming against her and, like, she's got a lot of anxiety. She's a really likable character and a lot of that low scenes are played for laughs, but then you learn at least partially why she's like that or at least why she has such trust issues. Yeah. And it's because her father was trying to groom her to be a submissive wife and would just like tie her to a chair and like leave her in a room all day and like Holy wanted shit. to basically make her like bait for a rich husband. It's really fucked up. Oh my God. So she's like, 
she's like, I can't, like, she literally was sent to the monastery, like, by her mom to, like, save her from her dad. So she was, like, woke up in the monastery one day. Whoa. Um, so, like, it's really, and, like, that's what made me, like, I, I, you know, the, seeing her grow as a person and, like, I, I didn't, as tragic as that backstory is I I didn't want to think that that was like the entire reason why she's the way she is because that's also her personality that's how she's wired right but like it does answer for why she doesn't leave her room and why she doesn't trust people you know totally um it's it's really fucked up it's also brought up when uh Dorothea like wants to be friends with Bernie and Bernadette like runs away like she does with everyone but she's especially distant to Dorothea and she brings up like. When my dad found out I had a commoner friend, he like beat them to death. Like, holy shit! It, like, like he, I can't hang out with commoners. And Dorothy is like, that's insane. Like, I've heard stories, but like, you never think that that's actually true. Yeah. Um. So, you also see things like, uh, like Dorothea. Uh, she's only in the house because she's like a famous opera singer. Yeah. Um. And she's kind of like trying to schmooze with the nobles and like kind of marry into a family you get the vibe yeah but you learn that she was like an orphan who literally a noble found out she could sing and was given this opportunity so she's like as quickly as this was given to me i know it can be taken away and that's why i have to marry into security yeah um really really kind of backwards um yeah it's a bummer it's it's not to shame her for doing it, but it's like that's the system she is trying to navigate within. Exactly. Yeah. Um uh you have uh Caspar who's like really likable. He's like kind of the Ryuji, he's like head first, mm-hmm. stray dog, best friend kind of vibe. Um and he's like very ambitious and, and like, you know, has a lot of drive, but he's like the second or third son because of the way it's structured, he's not going to inherit anything despite the potential he has. Oh, wow. Um, and you learn that his siblings like especially shitty and his dad is awful. Um, Petra is the going to be the queen of Bridget, one of the nations outside of Fodlan. Yeah. And like, is there to secure a treaty between Fodlan and Bridget. So like, it's kind of there by necessity. Um, and there's a like kind of a tense relationship there with her and Edelgard. Um, Petra's really great too. She's one of my favorites. Linhart is is also really likable. He's like always taking naps, and like his story's a little bit less dark. He's he's also a noble, but he's like cartoonishly lazy and just kind of wants to hang out. Yeah, I recruited him in the Golden Deer, and it made total sense. He's like, my teacher is so strict. Can I just hang out with you? Like, yeah, come on. <laughs> um, oh my god, I love that. Yeah, he's great. Uh, so there's a lot of really likable students, um, but you learn about all this crazy stuff, and you learn what Edelgard has gone through uh, pretty early on. Her fir- the first support you have with her, she's having nightmares, and you ask her why, and she's like, "Oh, I'm just, you know." She's like, "Do you know? Do you want to know like why I have a crest? It's similar to Scythia." She's like, "I." me and my like 10 other siblings who were like born to endure these experiments. Yeah. Uh, I'm the one that survived. The rest were either killed or driven insane or are terminally ill because of those experiments. So 
but she has the crest of flames. She tells you, she's like, it's worth telling you that I can also wield the sword of the creator. Yeah. I have the crest of flames. And, um, she's also like Claude slow to open up to you right away, but she sees the power you possess. And like her, her supports with Hubert right away reveal that like, she like her, one of the first things she said, she's like the path before me is soaked with blood, but I know I have to do it. Right. And Hubert's like, yes, good. You know, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, and Hubert's just, he's just a character. Like he doesn't ever really change, but you, it's it, he has a lot of funny supports. There's one where he compliments Ferdinand, and Ferdinand's like, "Don't compliment me." It's like hearing a snake sing an aria. Like that was one of the funniest <laughs> lines. Um, and they have coffee together, and Ferdinand's like, "Do you think of me as a friend?" And he's like, "If I was torn between choosing between love and hate, I suppose I would nudge towards the former." Like, just say you like me, you idiot. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so it's it's a weird. The dynamic is unlike either house where there's a lot of tension in the room. Um, a lot of characters are not really presenting their, the, you know, there's a lot of aspiration. There's a lot of uh, ambition. Um, and everyone kind of wants to prove that they're the best. And the ones that don't are like completely out. Like Linhart and Bernie like could not give a shit about that. <laughs> they they want out of that life. Um, so it's a really interesting group. Uh, but I, I grew fond of them pretty quickly. I, I liked them as a class. Though it gets to a point where um, Edelgard... Uh, and I will say, even without playing the other houses... It is obvious that Edelgard is the Flame Emperor when you're playing as them. Yeah. Like Edelgard's like, ooh, look at the time, gotta run. And then the Flame Emperor shows up. Like it's it's just <laughs> ridiculous. And there's one scene where she's like, Yeah, like crazy how the Flame Emperor is like such a bad person, right? But like they have a point, right? Right? And like you could say yes or no, and it's like, come on, Edelgard. That's awesome. Uh but um but the thing is, what you learn about Edelgard is that she, her mission is she hates the church. She wants to get rid of the church. She wants to get rid of the class system and she wants to get rid of the reliance on crests. So like, interesting. all of that is, pre- I'm down for all of that, especially yeah. the class system. Cause you see, you hear stories about what Bernadetta has endured, what, what Dorothea has adored, where all of them have endured or become because of the system. And you're like, absolutely. This is backwards. No human is better than another. Throw this system out the window. Right. Um, but how do you get there? Right. Uh, yeah. and it's all about the execution of that plan. <laughs> seriously. And the thing too about Edelgard is like, she wants to create the future of Folin where, everyone is judged by their own merits and you know, they rise and fall through their own ambition. And I'm like, this sounds good, but it also sounds a little Ayn Rand esque, you know, like it's a little bit Atlas shrugged. Like forget the teacher, forget the Kings, the gods who have abandoned you. You are your own master, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's like the beginning of Bioshock. Um, so like it makes sense in the, in the context of the world, but yeah. And, 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 so that that I I I'm glad I got to know more why she is set on this the way she is, um, especially after what she's endured and like what's happening around her. Um, but it gets to a point uh, 
at the holy tomb when Rhea is trying to commit the act of rebirth or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't happen. That's when in the other playthroughs, the Flame Emperor shows up. In this case, Edelgarda shows up unmasked and she's like, I'm here. No more facades. I'm the Flame Emperor. I'm here to declare war on the church and to take over this place of worship, basically. Yeah. Uh, and Ray is like, what the heck? And all the students are actually horrified. They're like, what? Like, you used us? Like, what is this? Oh, the students in the Black Eagles. Yeah. All, all the students, other than Hubert, who's like, I suppose you're no longer a student, Emperor Edelgard. Or whatever, <laughs> you know? Uh, so the students are at least confused. Yeah. And, but some of them are like actively like upset at this. And in that mission, you have to fight Edelgard and, uh, you know, all the empire troops, but then you're given a choice. If you, um, you have to do one thing in the last month before that mission, you have to talk to Edelgard and she asks you to come with her to Enbar to be like crowned as emperor. Mm. You see her dad. Who's like, this is a shell of a person mm. who's like, and you could tell that like her dad was probably a good person, but was like powerless to stop whatever experiments she had to endure. Right. Uh, and her uncle is like in those who slither with the dark. Her uncle is like a bad dude. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but you learn that the reason Edelgard is siding with those who slither in the dark is because they both hate the church. So Edelgard's whole thing is like, they're an ally of convenience for now. They're the only force that I can rely on to take on the church because I can't do it alone. But once that's done, I'm going to take them out. Mm. That's kind of her plan. Interesting. Um, okay. So, uh, and Hubert's like totally on board with that. Um, so you have to go with her to, for her to be crowned as emperor. And then after that mission, you're given a choice between protecting Edelgard or siding with Rhea. I chose to side with Edelgard because I had just done the blue lines and I was like, well, I want to see this story all the way through. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's really dramatic when you, you walk over and you like stand in front of Edelgard and Rhea is like, you worthless piece of garbage. And like, wow. Calls you just another failure and then turns into a dragon. And then Edelgard's <laughs> like this, see literal monsters are in control of the church. Like point right. proven. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. And, it's interesting because there's not the big battle that happens where Rhea turns into a dragon to save you. She just turns into a dragon in the tomb and then you all like to intimidate you specifically to intimidate you. Yeah. Um, she uses, she she uses fear as a weapon in that, in that instance. Yeah. So then, uh, then after that you orchestrate your attack on Garrick Mox. So this time you're attacking. Um, and at one point the death knight shows up and is green and goes, we will lend our strength to the Empire. And it cuts to Byleth's face, like, gasping. Mm-hmm. And Edelgard's like, don't, I'm sure you have a lot of questions. Just roll with it for now. And I'm like, awesome. do I need any more visual proof that we're the bad guys, that the fucking Death Knight is fighting alongside us right. as I, like, kill Alois? Like, come on. <laughs> um, so you fight Garrick Mach, which is, like, a really cool twist of fate. Um, I will say too, I recruited a bunch of people for this run cause I, I couldn't stomach it. I recruited every blue lion except for Mercedes. I didn't have time to recruit her. Unbelievable. Sadly. Um, originally I was just going to do Ash and a few others, but I ended up getting all of them through new game plus magic. Yeah. But I, 
Mercedes tragically remained unrecruited. So what was really fascinating was that before the battle, you temporarily, your base of action is not the monastery, but it's this like weird area in the empire. There's a bunch of torches lit Mm. and everyone, everyone you've recruited is there. So I got to talk to every blue lion about how they felt about declaring war on the church. Oh my God. And like Felix is like, this is good. I'm cutting my own path. And like, of course, this being Felix. Yeah. Ash, Ash was like, I'll never forgive the church where they did for Lord Leonardo. Like, I'm all in to see what Edelgard is trying that to do. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, Ingrid was more like, oh, <laughs> I hope uh, this is the good idea. <laughs> Sam Sylvain was like, whoa, like, <laughs> I hope uh, we can talk this out maybe. But it was, a, I was amazed. I was worried. I'm like, oh, I recruited every blue line kind of as a bit. And now I'm like, I worry this is going to take me out of this playthrough. But there is so much writing that, like, yes, showcases what those characters are dealing with in that time. Um, I was just about to say, it's so amazing that there are really incredible stories to be told in every permutation of what a player can opt into doing in this game. Like... Going through my my epilogues, like, yes, those are all great for the read that I had on the game, but the fact that, like, there are all of these other takes that make sense for the blue lions of all the of all the classes, like, to, to recruit every blue lion and then have them join the Black Eagles and go against the church and have all of that make sense thematically is fucking hard. To stick that yeah. landing is so hard. Making this game is like impossible, and they did. Yeah, it. and I mean, it, and they rightfully like have some characters are more torn than others, but like yeah. it would make sense for Ash to. I think Ash even joins the Empire in the uh, Golden Deer. Sure run, does. He? Yeah, yeah. So like, the other thing too is like at a certain point, yeah. So I was amazed by that, and that actually aided my playthrough. I think it also made it easier for me because I'll say for those who did the church route, I have not played that. The Elgar route is probably the toughest, like gameplay wise, and also the toughest, like just to do. It is, it is mm. like the Undertale No Mercy route, where it's like mm. you have to kill everyone yeah. to get this to get this dream to come alive. It is, but the thing is, and I'll, I'll get to the time skip now, and I'll talk more about that. Um, I will say that like I struggled with playing as them the whole time but i think the game wants you to feel that way it feels a lot like in fates what conquest was going for Mm. where you are allying with the clearly evil king and everyone's (laughs) wearing like you know devil armor but like what that whole story was about was like trying to reach the good end goal while navigating through a broken system right 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 Uh, it's no coincidence that edelgard fights with an axe she just wants to like destroy and rebuild yeah um so the time skip happens uh after the fight uh same similar thing happens uh immaculate one comes out and you're rendered unconscious wake up the farmer's like hey you know where to go thanks pal Mm -hmm. uh and in this case edelgard already has the monastery there are no thieves to fight right she already has it under empire control she has Princess Leia buns and a Ares Ram crown, which is she probably has the coolest look in the time skip jump, to be honest. Yeah, uh, it's a toss up, but uh, it's it's a good look. Um, she gives you a big hug and she's like, oh, my God, like I thought you were dead. 
Like I knew you were alive, but I couldn't prove it. Like mm-hmm. I'm so happy you're back. Um, and and throughout part one, she's also always like, I knew I had to do this, but I'm glad I don't have to do it alone. And like really confides in you. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, and she is a really likable character despite everything. Like she isn't. And and to kind of contrast with Dimitri, even in the time skip, she's kind of the same person. She's just more open with what she's trying to do. Yeah. But like. She's she's not cruel and she's not uh, she's never a victim to wrath. There are a lot of characters that like appear level headed and then something bad happens and they lose it and they like like yeah. Dimitri. She never is like wanton in her in her violence, but like she is so logic based, like she's kind of lost a bit of her humanity, I think. Um, and just the idea that like, once this is all done, there will never be any more war. She wants to unite Fodlin, get rid of the class system, get rid of crests, uh, and, uh, kill those who live in the dark once it's all done. And it's like, okay, that all sounds great. But like, you're basically like just burning everything down and saying that you're saving the day, you know? Right. Yeah. You definitely have step one down. Uh, Yeah. Or and not I, even, get, like, you kind of fucked up coming up with how to accomplish step one, <laughs> in a way. I was more on her side than I thought I was going to be, but I still couldn't justify the idea of, like, needing to declare war on so many people. Like, certainly, like, I feel like there was a way for Eogard to communicate with Claude and be like, hey, we both don't like the church. Yeah. Let's team up or something. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Because what happens is, you have this kind of sweet scene with Edelgard. You see all your students, they're all grown up, and like everyone, it's a nice moment. And then she goes, Cool. So tomorrow we're invading the Alliance. And you're like, Whoa, I just woke up. Uh, but yeah, so she's like, You know, she's like, We got to take out the Alliance first. Yeah. They're the wild card. Uh, there's not much. And the thing, the thing that's wild about this run is that Dimitri does not have an eye patch in this route. In the Edelgard route, he does not have an eye patch. And okay. I'll get to, I'll get to what's going on there because. Rhea is not kidnapped. Rhea moved the church forces basically into Fargus. So, like, oh. Dimitri is fighting with Rhea. So, Dimitri never had the moment where, like, he, like, lost everything. That's He's, wild. He just has long hair. Um, <laughs> so, so you invade the Alliance. Um, it's really sad. The first mission, you fight Judith, who I fought alongside yeah. as a blue lion. Um but you basically had to squash the city. Leone and Ignat showed up. Ignat's got out okay. Leone, not so much. Yeah. Um, but Leone is like really good. So like there's always that moment where like when a student shows up, I'm like, oh no, I defy them. But they're always so good. Um, by the end, I'm like, just get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like, you know, I gotta use like three units to take care of Leone. Yeah. Um uh it was really sad. There were lines like when Leone died, Judith is like, yeah, your whole life ahead of you. Like I would have switched places with you if I could. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, that's brutal. And then you have to fight, uh, you go into the capital where you fight Hilda, Claude and Lysithia. Oddly enough, when I fought Lysithia, it gave me the option of recruiting her or killing her. Oh. Um, and I was like, well, no, all aboard the Empire, I guess. Join the Empire. <laughs> so you recruited uh, her. Amazing. I recruited her. She's like, oh, thanks for giving me a chance, Teach. I'm she's like, hell yeah. Amazing. She's really good. Uh, so I got Lysithia. Um, and then when you corner uh, Claude, he's like, because he, he got the Elmyrans to help them in that battle, right, basically. Yeah. 
And but you know it all goes south because the empire has all the blue lions in it and Lysithia now. So look out. Um, and you defeat Claude, and you're given the option of exiling him or killing him. Um, and Brendan, I killed him. Wow, did feel, you really? I did because I again I was like because he he winks you and he's like hey like I won't be of any issue like nothing nothing bad here. I'm like if we're committing to the Edelgard no mercy rule like him being alive is going to render this attack useless like keeping claude in the picture is too many variables why i don't think that but i had to in this playthrough and i hated it um i hated it i hated it that's very intense Uh, so bad it was very intense and there's a lot of guilt afterwards um but what was interesting was like after that happened we went back and huber is in Claude's room and he's like Claude planned for everything and he planned for his death he knew that whether he lived or died it would result in the alliance either falling under empire control or you know there would be no inner turmoil it would be like the best case scenario no matter what happened right and Hubert's like hmm, even I'm impressed <laughs> uh, like it's like the most emotion he shows yeah but um Lysithia was like I owe everything to Claude I'm thankful for the second chance eventually Lysithia is like I joined here out of convenience, but now I'm like all in on believing in Edelgard, which is insane to hear. Yeah. Um, so at a certain point, the Empire is doing so well. Everyone's like, well, if she can really do this, let's see what can happen. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> insane. I'm sorry. I, I, in me, Steven would never, ever kill Claude. I wish I exiled him. But in the moment, it made sense with the way the plot was unfolding. No, I get Please it. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Anyway, uh, that's what I kept saying that as I played this route, which is please forgive me. <laughs> you eventually get to Fargus, and um, they've completely allied with the church. So, like, you have to fight through a lot. You have to fight Rodrigue, like, all, all of them. Um, and uh, you also, all, like, all of the church, too. Um, the saddest part of the playthrough is killing Flane because Sedith. Oh my God. It is literally like the scene in Breaking Bad that I won't spoil, but when Jesse's in the car and he can only watch what happens, Mm -hmm. like it is that level. I'm like getting chills thinking about it, but it is so sad. Yeah. It is like the saddest thing. This is a rough route. I would not recommend it for those. Uh, this whole game is rough, but like this is especially tough i can't imagine um, picking this as your first playthrough i can't imagine picking the edelgard route as the first one yeah uh, but the thing is if it is your first one you don't know these characters as well so it's probably a little bit easier yeah i, I feel like if if your first playthrough is this i imagine you're probably maybe gonna pick the church because edelgard just showed up and said hi i'm the flame emperor i'm the bad guy yeah, and it's not like you kind of have to know like it's not super obvious to unlock this path. Yeah. Like you have to you have to really talk to her. Like you have to be committed to talking to everyone in the monastery to find out that this is like a thing you have to do. Yeah. So, this does feel like the like it's also only 18 chapters, so it feels like this is the the like the like if you still have it in you, try this one out kind of thing. Yeah, totally. At the same time, they do a good job of never making Edelgard feel like the bad guy, but like everyone involved is like, this doesn't feel good. I don't like this. <laughs> um, right. 
but is it worth it? You know, is it because you know the things she's fighting against are bad at this point. Raya has like lost it, and when you get to she now just goes by Saros and she's like fighting on the front lines. Um, the second to last fight, you fight Dimitri to do. And Adu has given a bunch of soldiers crest stones, so they just start turning into monsters randomly. Oh my god. And Adu himself turns into a big monster. He becomes like a big like Godzilla monster. Oh man, how did you do with is, that? It made it a little easier because I didn't feel as bad fighting Interesting. Yeah, okay. monster to do. I get that. Um, but what's kind of interesting about this route is this is, this is no eye patch Dimitri. Mm-hmm. He hasn't fallen as hard. He is kind of heroic in this moment. Like when you go up to him, he, he's like, I will not let you kill another soul today. Um, yeah. And Edelgard talks to him and he's like, he's like, this future you're fighting for is built on a pile of corpses and tears. Like, stop this. And like that line really hit me hard. Cause I'm like, it, it, you're, you're right. You can't just kill everyone who disagrees with you and like, correct. Create a, f- <laughs> right? Like, but you, the game does a brilliant job of not making you buy into it, but like there's enough moral ambiguity and there's enough that Edelgard is rightfully fighting against that. It doesn't feel like you're completely evil, but it does feel like there could have been a better way. Like there could yeah, have been a better totally. way. Um, and it's a really sad scene. The last it's, it's similar to sunken Dimitri and Edelgard's like, my uncle has poisoned your mind against me. Your unhealthy obsession with me ends today. Farewell, the king of delusion. Wow. And kills him. And she starts crying, and you're like, what's up? And she's like, oh, the Edelgard who shed tears died long ago. Let's keep going. Mm. And it's just like, oh, man. Um, that was a very tough mission. Uh, just and That's also where Hubert died for me. <laughs> there was no <laughs> way I was going to get through that mission without losing someone, because it was a really tough map. Yeah. And Hubert, Hubert died, unfortunately. Um, and then the last mission, this is where Rhea kind of really isn't shown in a favorable light. You're in Ferdiad and Catherine and uh, Cyril are with Rhea and Edelgard. And the thing about Edelgard is that even though like this plan is, is bonkers and is like way too violent. Yeah. She's not unnecessary. Like when you, when you're fighting in the Alliance capital, you talk to someone like, please don't harm the city. She's like, I'm not harming any city. I'm here for one purpose. Like I, I, I've got an exact path forward. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just kind of told herself that this is the best route. And like, it clearly isn't, but, um, so she's like, I'm going to ask the city to surrender. You know, let's, let's give them enough time to surrender. Um, so Catherine's like, Hey, Raya, they're asking if we want to surrender. Maybe it's a good idea to surrender. Cause like, woof, you know, the whole world's in flames. <laughs> yep. And Reyes like burn the city down. She asks oh, Catherine to, tor- okay. to torch the city to just make it harder for them to invade. Yeah, sure. And whatever. And so like, and Edelgard's like, see, like, this is Raya. Raya yeah. is burning a city of innocence to save herself. Um, she turns it to the Immaculate One, the dragon, and you fight in a level that is on fire. There right. are only a few narrow corridors where you're not constantly taking damage. It feels like the hardest route for sure. Cool. Um, but you take down, and you also have to fight Gilbert and all these people. It's so sad. But 
taking out Rhea felt cathartic because she's definitely put in a more villainous light in this route. Mm-hmm. And it ends with you and Edelgard uh, literally like X slashing Rhea as a dragon. That's awesome. <laughs> and like Chrono Trigger style. And she dies and Edelgard's like, oh my God, like, is this over finally? And then Byleth passes out and Edelgard runs over and she's like, no, I can't lose you too. Um, and it zooms in on your heart. The thing that Rhea puts in your heart, yeah, it disappears and you get your pulse back and your hair turns back to its original color. Oh, wow. And it zooms in on your eye and that's where it ends. Interesting. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, she becomes emperor. She does exactly what she set out to do. The, uh, the nobility system is cast out and all the wrongful nobles are punished accordingly. Um, and then she turns her attention to those who live in the dark with Hubert's help. So there's a secret war happening in the background. So like she gets it done. She, she does the thing she sets out to do. The problem is in what reality does it stop there? Yeah. Right? Right. And what reality does like, okay, we, we, we solved everything and now everything's peaceful. Um, <laughs> yeah. You let, know, let's that's, hang up the boots. And just it's kick easy now. to kind of buy it in the moment, but when you like when I finished that game, like you said, like oh, that felt like the perfect ending. I was just left feeling very kind of sickened right. by the whole experience right. in a good way, and like and I I really like that class. Like I like the students a lot. Um, I wonder if I would have. I'm glad I did this route, especially after doing the Blue Lions, because you're basically playing as the opposite faction. Um, yeah, but boy, is it just a tough experience yeah it sounds like it um i'm not going to share my whole epilogue because i i don't feel as attached to it as i did with the blue lions yeah. but i will say my favorite thing was that petra and caspar ended up together oh good which is really beautiful because caspar's dad killed petra's dad oh interesting okay so like there are a lot of because similar to ignatz and Raphael, a lot of their supports were about like how do we let go of this we're not our parents yeah um and also Caspar's dad was like a villain in Bridget in her country. Oh, so like Caspar becomes like an ambassador in Bridget and like they get married. It's great. Um, that's the thing. Like the, the thing, it, it must sound really rough to play this, but the students are likable enough that that keeps you going. Like, especially cause I had a big class too. seeing like seeing all their stories play out and knowing that they were going to be okay is what made it feel a little bit more palatable. Mm. Um, but I don't think I at all ally myself with this route in any way. Yeah. Um, Honestly, after not, hearing you talk about it, I kind of want to make the blue lions my second playthrough. Oh, I mean, that'd make me very happy. Yeah. I think, I think uh, I might switch it up now. Yeah. I think the Edelgard route is, is definitely worth experiencing. Cause you learn a lot about like, you learn more about the world, but it's less of a personal drama. Right. Although there's plenty of, and that's the thing. I think Edelgard is kind of fooling herself by thinking that this is not a personal revenge story. Yeah. You know, be like she's, she's directly taking out her trauma on the entire continent. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. But you know, I, I think that I think she is more likable than that is making it sound, but it is just like, and she even grapples with it too. she, directly states like i realize that they are good people in the church and i don't dislike the faith but the church itself has to go yeah. so like she is very self-aware 
Um, it's almost the opposite of Dimitri. Like Dimitri loses his, his entire composure, but ends up becoming this heroic figure. Mm-hmm. Edelgard is like telling herself that it's all going to be worth it, but is it? And the game doesn't really answer that question, which I think is interesting. Yeah, it, so. it's just asking you to come to terms with it for yourself. Um, yeah, yeah, wild. Yeah, that's the Edelgard route. Really, <sighs> it's intense. Really it's very intense. I teared up a lot. Yeah. It was rough. Holy man. But, um, yeah, that's how the golden deer are good as a follow. Cause I mean, this is so much like more, <laughs> yeah. more of my speed. You've eaten your vegetables um, and now it's time for dessert. Yeah. And I could be like, Hey, Bernie Linhart, join the deer. Everyone else <laughs> have fun. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Um, why don't we get to our questions? Yeah, maybe we take another break and then we jump into it, if that's cool. Let's do it. That sounds great. Um, See you in a bit. Yeah, see ya. Steven, we are back in the Fire Emblem bonus episode. Um, For those of you who are listening, no time at all has really passed, but for Steven and I, it's been 48 to 72 hours, somewhere in that vicinity. Yeah, there's a time skip. We grew up. Oh my god. We both grew chin straps. You're uh-huh. tired of that joke, aren't you? No, I love it. No, it's great. <laughs> there really was, though. We there was a time skip in this recording. That's yeah. amazing. Uh, you may have noticed that um, I was literally falling asleep at the wheel uh, towards the end of the discussion as we were talking about. I think the the golden deer, maybe the black eagles. I don't even remember what order we recorded. We ended in. on black eagles. Yes, and uh, we had planned on talking. Or at least discussing the questions that uh, all of you, dear listeners, have sent in. Um, but at that point, it was about one thirty in the morning for me. Um, yeah, it, it was getting a little bit too late for me to uh, answer those questions in a way that made sense. So I, I held off on recording until right now, and here we are. We're back in the, the dusk, studio. The dusk hour was equivalent to Raya turning into a dragon, so yeah. we had to take a bit of a break. Totally. Yeah. Um, so so but, we're back. We're back and we're going to uh, answer the questions that you sent in. I'm very excited because I looked over them and they're wonderful. Um, a lot of really great questions. Thank you all to ask. Um, yes. We're just going to dive into it unless you want anything to say anything else before we get into it. No, as far as I can tell, this episode is already 16 hours long. Um, so <laughs> I think we should I mean, just jump into it. We're emulating the game in that way. You know, that's true. Everything. It's weird. I, I will say just while we're on the topic, though, like I have not experienced the game that I put so much time into that has gone by so quickly in a long time like i usually feel like i usually can play a game for like two hours then i like have to go outside or do something else (laughs) right and fire emblem is the first game where like i just i think i told you when i first got it like i woke up the next day at like four fully rested and i was like i guess i can play more yeah like this like uh, on semi-conscious went to my switch and played played a lot of it yeah Um, me really disgusting me waking up in the middle of the night at midnight uh, and realizing that that meant that I could play Fire Emblem was a strange precursor um, to what my experience playing Fire Emblem was like. I mean, the midnight that the game came out is what I'm referring to. Um, yeah. But that said, yeah. uh, totally agree. I think the thing that surprises me most is that I actually beat this game. The fact that I made it all the way through uh, and finished a run of this game is like wild because I, I don't know the last game that I finished completely. It might have been Hollow Knight. Um, yeah. That's kind of wild. Have been. Yeah, that's really it's really interesting. I, I'm trying to think because I also don't really like beat games super often. I beat Celeste, but like didn't do all the like end game stuff of that game. Yeah, yet. 
Um, anyway, let's get into Fire Emblem questions before we start another episode about something else. Please, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so first question. Bolt. Thank you, Bolt, for all you do. Uh, this is a wonderful question. Um, Bolt asked us, as you uncover all the routes, how have your views of all the house leaders changed? What order do you think the routes should be played to best experience their respective stories? Um, and there's a follow-up question here that I think we'll get to, because that's, that's a pretty big question. The follow-up question was, what cross-house supports do you feel were most effective? Were there any supports that didn't exist that you wish did? Mm. Um, so these are, again, thank you both. These are amazing questions. I, let's start with the first one. I think that's also, that's a really good question to begin this latter half because it kind of touches on some things that were addressed in the first half of this episode. Mm-hmm. Us yeah, kind of totally. talking about all three stories. So I have played now, uh, I've played all three houses. I have not finished all three, but you know, between the two of us, we have, yeah. um, how my views of the leaders changed. It's, it's a tough question to answer because on a surface level, Claude is the same, like in and out of the house post and pre time skip. Like Pretty in much. his behavior. Yeah, he just becomes more Claude. Uh, you just right. you get to know him better and him revealing his secrets really just doesn't change your outlook on him at all. Uh, he's still Claude. Uh, he is still very crafty and good at his job. That to say, he's great. He's he's awesome the whole yeah. time. Pretty much. I think I definitely like because I mean, Claude is Claude is an instant favorite playing this game. Like yeah. the, the minute you meet Claude, you fall in love with him. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was very tough for me to commit to blue lions after talking to Claude and meeting that house. Yeah. Um, but I think with Claude, the, the big difference after playing as much of the game as I have is I think you learn how intelligent he is, like how much foresight he has and like how crafty he truly is because i think on a surface level he just seems kind of indifferent and like you can tell he's witty and charming but like how figured out like how much of the world he's figured out by just kind of skimming the surface is unbelievable yeah um so i think that if anything has changed for claude just that i admire the character more i think he's crafty and intelligent beyond measure um Mm -hmm. dimitri uh is all over the map i mean dimitri's outcome depending on which route you choose is is incredibly different uh, yeah i was about to say I, my my opinion on dimitri changes depending on if you pick the blue lions or not yeah or even i mean you know it sounds like in the golden deer run he's just he 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 goes down the dark path you find him in and doesn't return from it and that's literally yeah. what leads to his end Whereas in the Edelgard route, he's oddly heroic, despite, you know, the circumstances. Mm-hmm. That's the route in which he doesn't seem to have the same fall from grace he does in every other timeline. And he's just trying to get the war to stop. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, he is fighting alongside Rhea, so that makes things complicated for... Uh, I forgot to say this. Edelgard names your team the Black Eagle Strike Force. So that's like what, what you're called. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. hate that. So that's... Yeah, it's it's... <laughs> It's a lot. It's definitely a middle school screen name for sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, the Black Eagle Strike Force is just destroying the world. Um, and <laughs> so goofy. So I think for Dimitri, I mean, I I have a lot of empathy for him because I mean, Blue Lions is my first pick, and I've seen that entire arc. Um, and that arc is devastatingly human throughout. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Demi- there's a great line Dimitri has in one of the Felix, in one of his support scenes with Felix, where at the end Felix is like, "Sometimes you have the face of a boar, and sometimes you have the face of a man. Like, who is the true Dimitri?" Yeah. And and at that point, that's like when he's kind of redeemed himself, and he's like, "They're both me. I'm both of those people." Right. Um. The fact that he takes full, it's kind of like Persona Four, where like they have to take, honestly. Post time skip Dimitri, I think I've mentioned this in the Discord, feels like how Dimitri would appear in a Persona 5 palace of himself, you know? Oh, like interesting. He sees yeah, himself totally. in this. It's like his repressed id, basically. Yeah. Um, and you know, he he's a character that has that showcases the full scope of like everything the characters in the game are dealing with. Uh he gets overtaken by revenge. He eventually learns the importance of mercy uh and yeah. of you know i mean the fact that he goes from like literally daydreaming about killing edelgard to appease ghosts of his family and friends to scheduling a meeting with her to try to end this war is incredible yeah absolutely um, so it's hard to say how to feel about dimitri i i think i think they definitely he's one of the characters that has the widest scope at the end of the day i i think i have a lot of empathy for him because um he's he's kind of just a victim of grief he's not really like even when he's at his most violent and most unlikable you can't help but feel bad for him because he's just lost it like it's almost it's out of his control he's just a victim of his own grief his own survivor's guilt that's not to condone his actions because the dude (laughs) does some questionable stuff but i think that i think that dimitri i I have a lot of empathy for, and I think he becomes a leader that finally uh, chooses to cherish the company around him. You know, he doesn't see himself like Edelgard from start to finish values her allies greatly, but she is often like, I have to do this alone. It's just me. And then maybe the professor, you know, because she doesn't want to wrap other people up in her shit that she is doing, like kind of begrudgingly. Like she feels like she has been like selected to do this thing. And she's like, if I can keep everybody else out of it, that's for the best, which is, I think, one of the things I didn't realize when I played through the Golden Deer route about Edelgard that I, I started to kind of appreciate upon hearing more about it, um, more about the Black Eagles route when you follow Edelgard and like her whole kind of ethos and her philosophy behind what she's doing. Um, I, as we mentioned a lot, like she is seeking the correct thing in the wrong way. Um, yeah. But I do think there is a case to be made for um, for Edelgard as a character and for Edelgard as like, uh, a strangely heroic being um, in some instances uh, but at the same time like we as we discussed Claude does the same thing without murdering thousands of people so yeah you know. exactly so there's clearly like there are clearly like-minded individuals and it's strange for Edelgard to go out of her way to seek the alliance of those who slither in the dark though then again that is kind of thrusted on her because her uncle is like one of the leaders of that faction right yeah. so and they also she's a very Draco Malfoy kind of figure where like yes. she didn't need to be evil you know but like the circumstances of the way she was born kind of like threw her into that fire unfortunately I will say after very playing tragic. the Edelgard route yeah she's a very tragic character um and I think that as much as I disagreed with the actions in the Edelgard route like me Steven mm-hmm. um she's a lot more reasonable than than you would think outside of that route yeah. like she's not 
she's really trying to exercise like the most precise and exact way of doing this and doesn't want to like she doesn't want to attack needlessly she doesn't want to waste lives if she can avoid it yeah um that being said like the big oversight is like this whole thing is kind of needless you know like there's a way to i think overthrow raya because again she even admits like i think there are good people in the church and i have no problems with the faith um but like our our continent is ruled by monsters in the shadows you Mm -hmm. know yeah uh so it's very i brought up mass effect comparisons with like the renegade uh you know the renegade moral system of ends justifying the means yeah uh the original uh, apparently the original last choice for mass effect 3 was going to be this idea that there was a never-ending darkness in space that would eventually consume all existence of course right uh and that the reapers the big the running antagonists of the series these giant mechanical beings of destruction from like beyond mortal comprehension mm-hmm. um one of the best lines in a video game i'm the vanguard of your destruction so good mm. uh anyway um the original one of the original ending choices was apparently going to be the paragon option was or excuse me the renegade option the ends justify the means was that you learned that the reapers were created to stop this threat that there is something about humankind that if humans were harvested in a large enough quantity to make a reaper, because all the reapers are like harvested civilizations. um, If a human reaper was able to be made successfully, that would stop the threat for sure. It would stop the threat of, of the darkness beyond space time consuming everything. So that was the renegade option was like, do you think it's worth millions and millions of lives to stop this existential threat? Yeah. And the Paragon one was to uh, to not do that and just hope there was a better way somewhere down the line. So Edelgard would absolutely do the human reaper option because (laughs) and and the thing is, like, the thing that really helps her case is the fact that so many of the Black Eagles lives have been ruined or put on a very dark path because of the class system and because of the importance of crests and all that stuff yeah. like you see it firsthand and she even tells people she's like i want you to have a future i want you to be able to exist outside of this yeah um i think the so i think my opinion of edelgard definitely was more positive after playing as her I think like when it comes to Rhea or Edelgard, I like Edelgard more. Like I think she's a more trustworthy ally. Yeah. Um, but I like there's a reason I think why Edelgard is the antagonist or second antagonist of every other playthrough. Because like yeah, absolutely. what she's doing is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's that's it's like we said. But I do think it is kind of amazing that the game does let you play as essentially the bad guy mm-hmm. and see their reasons and and potentially agree with them. I mean, there might be people who are like totally on board with you know, especially I think if you play her first and you don't know the other factions as well, right out right out the get-go you might be like everyone else is wrong this is the only way to do this you might think that yeah you know possible so i i, I think uh i think that edelgard is i've double i've simultaneously doubled down on her being wrong but i've also doubled down on her being like i i can understand her which is i think the sign of a good character and a sign of a good villain i think like totally i wouldn't yes. i wouldn't was, go I as far to, to say 
I don't think she is the villain, but I think she is at least the inciting event of like the entire conflict. She's responsible <laughs> for the state of the second half. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I think Dimitri to recap Dimitri, I think I, I empathize with more having seen his whole arc and I'm always sad to run into him in other playthroughs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Claude is just, too smart for this world and Edelgard needs a second opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Don't run everything by Huber because he'll just do whatever you say. Um, the second part of this question, I I'm going to have the hardest time answering, I think, which is um, in what order should you play them? I really don't know. Honestly, I've been trying to answer this question for so long because people keep getting the game and then asking me like, what, how should I choose? Like, what do you think is the best one to choose first? Yeah, my answer is always talk to every house leader, talk to every person in every house, and you'll know the answer eventually. Um, but I think in terms of like an optimal way of viewing the story, I I'd, I'd be curious to see or to talk to the people who chose Black Eagles first and then finished the game and then did a second route to see how they feel about starting with the Black Eagles for exactly the reason you just brought up. Like, if you see Edelgard as the hero in that route. By the time you're done, what is it like to play the Blue Lions and what is it like to play the Golden Deer? Um, uh, yeah, the thing that's interesting, though, is that if you don't if you don't know how to unlock the Edelgard route, you will probably likely end up doing the church route, which I think is probably a very different experience than the oh, Edelgard interesting. one. OK, so I think that um, but that is also kind of that must be. To have that be your first experience, to have your house leader suddenly become the villain mm. would be fascinating as like your first playthrough of the game. Yeah. Um, I have to say, I, I, I think, yeah, I think more than anything, trust your gut. I think, you know, uh, pick the house that most appeals to you. I will say I, I did really enjoy playing the Blue Lions and Black Eagles back to back. I think those complement each other very well because you're basically playing the other faction right you know? yeah. like we've often said like that's the main conflict the golden deer kind of on the outside right so um i would say i i am enjoying the blue lions then black eagles then golden deer order yeah um i would probably say it depends on your experience with the series um i think so too i, th- I would say either golden deer first or golden deer last is probably the way to go dependent on exactly what you just mentioned your experience with the series i think if you are not a huge fan of fire emblem or if you have tried to get into them and it didn't work out or if you've never played one before i think golden deer is a really interesting way to kind of get an overview of what's happening in this world while also kind of being one step removed from it like none of the none of the um external players in in the golden deer none, none of the classmates who aren't claude really have any skin in the game in terms of the actual war that's happening um, in a way that pretty much everyone does in both the other houses. Like everyone is so overwhelmingly invested in the war that's happening. Whereas the golden deer, uh, not only on the outside a little bit narratively, but like literally none of those characters really care as much. Um, and for that reason, you can kind of keep tabs on what's going on while simultaneously like focusing on, um, what I found most enjoyable about this game, which is just like getting to know these people. Um, you know, there's, there's a looming thread of war, that's happening that you're kind of removed from, but at the same time, like you can hang out with Raphael in the cafeteria and not feel super bad about it. Um, yeah, which I think is really a great way to play that game. 
Um, but like you said, if you want to like dive right into it, if you are a fan of this franchise, like the way to go is probably Blue Lions or Black Eagles first, depending on which of the house leaders you like more. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the Blue Lions are a good first choice, too, because it is it's more about them as people. You don't get as much knowledge of the world. It is the one route that covers um, the tragedy of Dusker. That is like a uniting event of the house that isn't really touched on. Yeah at all or in passing in the other houses but it feels like uh i got a much stronger sense of like the politics of the world in black eagles and golden deer Mm -hmm. the blue lions is like a very emotional and personal story so yeah and even if you pick that one which i love like if you pick that one and on the outset it seems like dimitri is kind of like the um goody two shoes like pretty boy prince kind of vibe like it is so quickly turned on its head that it's like still going to be exciting and interesting even if you pick that one so i think you really can't go wrong between picking edelgard or dimitri because both of them have extremely harsh turns with their house yeah leaders. i i think playing that game for the first time and either experiencing post time skip dimitri or edelgard betraying the group depending yeah. on your choices that's an incredible twist yeah uh that's especially like shocking given you know like i don't expect those narrative leaps from this series before this game yeah uh so yeah incredible see i would say i think i would i would say unless you feel especially drawn to the black eagles i think the black eagles make a really good second playthrough um yeah oddly enough i think you know i mean there's a 50 percent chance you're going to ally with a dude who has like a skull for a face so like i think there's some context (laughs) provided you know there's some context needed um Cool. So that was the first question. Now, what cross house supports do you feel were most effective? Were there any supports that didn't exist that you wish did? Um, I have a pretty, I mean, I, I kind of talked pretty extensively about my endings in uh, the earlier parts when I was talking about the golden deer, but I think like I could just double down on those for this question. Um, I think Ingrid and Claude together are like so perfect and interesting. Uh, their supports are so fascinating where they're like constantly bickering um claude at one point literally tells ingrid to smile more and she like shoves that in his face constantly (laughs) from that point on yeah it is so so funny to watch that go down um and simultaneously i think the um the mercedes and lorenz ending was like the perfect narrative arc for lorenz um that worked out so well that like i can't even believe that that wasn't like built into the golden deer house so everyone had to experience it that way um it almost feels like it should be the default story for lorenz um and uh yeah i I was very 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 impressed by by those two specifically and that's i think one of the most impressive things about the game is their commitment to making recruiting students from the other houses feel like it's a natural part of the story yeah it doesn't feel like you're, you know, breaking the game or anything. I mean, I literally, again, I recruited all the Blue Lions as a joke because <laughs> my heart couldn't handle it. And it worked. Like, hearing them all deal with working for the Empire was fascinating. Right. Um, uh, so I have seen um, some Crosshouse supports from that. I really like bernadetta and felix's supports. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't seen these, they are lovely. Somehow, Felix kylo ren edgelord asshole and bernadetta go very well together that's awesome she somehow so the the inciting event is bernadetta is panicking about something and 
she or they start a conversation and like with anyone she like runs away and felix is like wow she's so fast that technique i have to learn it like, you know, he, <laughs> like he literally interprets her like flailing and running away as a battle technique that he yeah. needs to learn that's great um and so they start like hanging out a bit more and over time Felix's company she finds Felix like silly when she gets to know him mm -hmm. and she she's like you're you're like she's like you're all talk like she calls him a big nut he's like because she's like you're uh, this hard shell but you're all good stuff on the inside <laughs> um and then he's like begrudgingly nice to her he's like so tell me about that book you were reading it sounds not not interesting you know like, yeah. it's always like he has to give compliments by double negatives uh -huh. um That's great so they had a really fun relationship that I enjoyed seeing. Uh, it's obviously opposites attracting in a, in a fun way. Um, uh, Bernadetta and Raphael is also great because it's just comedy gold. Bernadetta is playing an actual tuba in the greenhouse so no one can hear her. Mm -hmm. And Raphael's like, hey, I heard a tuba. And it's like this. <laughs> this is like anxiety. I think I like the Bernie supports a lot because like this is what just like having anxiety is like uh -huh. <laughs> like please don't let Raphael walk in on me practicing tuba <laughs> and you know it happens um yeah Ash and Caspar had a really fun one where they adopt a cat together what and that's great they have competing sense of justice like there's like a thief in the cafeteria that turns out to be a cat um, oh great I, th I think and they adopt him and Ash's whole thing is like Let's not jump to conclusions. And Kaspar's whole thing is like, let's jump in and get into a fight. Uh -huh. um, so to hear their conflicting views on justice as they Via collectively the take care yeah. of the cat. Yeah, really, really fun. Um, Ingrid at Ignatz is also a really good one. Yes. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Ingrid walks in on Ignatz drawing the goddess and she's like, ooh, like give her a short skirt and a big sword. He's like, no, I can't. Like, you know, yeah. constantly like, nervous. I just love how Ingrid's like secretly like just a big nerd about that stuff and it's yeah. like give her a cloud strife sword and like a short skirt it's like all right uh very funny um so all those really help to just make whatever your decisions and i think that goes into why we struggled with the question of like which order is best because the game goes out of its way to make you feel like your decisions are the correct way yeah you know it feels like Absolutely. how how could someone have gone through the game without experiencing this scene? Yeah. Um, so I think in terms of ones that aren't there that I wish, uh, I kind of wish more of the house leaders had scenes with other students. I think it's like mm. only Claude that has them. I might be mistaken, but I kind of wish that was the case. Um, a lot of the black Eagles don't have a lot of supports outside of the house, um, which I guess makes sense because like, a lot of them are are very strictly that house like it makes the most sense for yeah. their, like petra is in that house to secure peace between nations like you can recruit her right but like it makes more sense if petra stays oh that's another one i liked uh ash and petra have a really fun friendship because petra's like let me see what commoners are like you know i want to see like what mm -hmm. commoner life is like because there's so much about royalty in the black eagles to see ash like take petra to like a market and get like the equivalent of like a pretzel or, or like a kebab on, on yeah. you know, in Manhattan on the street. Uh, and then she promises to like invite Ash to Bridget where they like, will go swimming or something. Right. It's a really cool like comparison of realities uh, that makes the world feel a lot bigger. Um, 
see i kind of wish the leads had more scenes with the other students um i kind of wish the leads had scenes with each other personally that would be really interesting uh yeah i think i think it would be cool to maybe have like this would be a lot to ask of the game but i wonder because i i in my first playthrough i just like ate lunch with everyone so like sometimes i ate lunch with the other leads and like you can but it doesn't do anything because you can't recruit them and you can't you can't unlock like every other student you can unlock support scenes with before they're part of your house yeah um so i guess that would have been cool like you said to, to get like maybe a variant of like what's the c scene with dimitri like if you're not in the blue lions yeah that'd be kind exactly. of interesting yeah. um because i think that's the thing that uh that might end up happening in your first playthrough you might get to a c rank with some students but don't recruit them and then in the second half when you're like on the battlefield together like it's so much more difficult you know because mm-hmm. you're like i know Raphael, like i can't fight Raphael. yeah that happened to me a that's lot. how i felt yeah yeah so yeah, I think that answers the question. I, I would, I'm not on the top of my head thinking like, oh, I really wish this character could hang out with this character. I mean, the leads, um, I think uh, maybe some more of the Black Eagles. Uh, I wonder if one of, if in one of the expansion packs, they're going to add more support scenes. I could see them doing that. Yeah, again, I'm really th- curious to see what ends up happening in the DLC by way of deepening connections between characters. Versus just like adding more battles and like a couple more story missions, you know, like I I really want to see that side of the game get expanded. Yeah, they've been slowly unveiling stuff. I I got the expansion pack. Once I got once I played through the blue lines, I'm like, okay, I'm I'm all in. Let me Mm -hmm. get the expansion pack. And like at the time, the only addition was like a different outfit. Now you can make everyone look like they're on like a rugby team, which is great. (laughs) Um, And. Uh, yeah, so all the, all the additions have been aesthetic. They also added auxiliary battles that have new music too, which is kind of cool. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think the big DLC that I think is like additional story is like next year essentially. Yeah. So we'll keep an eye on I that. I was I'm either sure we'll expecting it, it from the most recent Nintendo Direct or next year. Those are like my two. Yeah. And it didn't happen this time. So I think probably next year. Yeah. Maybe but I spring. think. Um, I think I just basically in short want to see more like I would love to see more possibilities. I think on average, most students have like two or three supports with students from other classes. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, and like, honestly, it wouldn't make any sense because he's not leaving the Black Eagles, but like any scene with Hubert is hilarious. It's just <laughs> so funny. So like, give me more Hubert content. Yeah. Um. So thank you, Bolt. Uh, really awesome questions. As you can tell, we spent like an hour on them. Uh, moving on. Uh, the next question is from our very own producer, AJ. Uh, AJ, thank you for oh, asking. Hi, AJ. Uh, AJ asks, if they didn't go to war school, what would the house leaders have majored in in college? <laughs> That's a really this good question. This is a great question. I was thinking about this while you briefly stepped away. I, I'm very up in the air. So I'm going to make a divisive decision. Or I'm going to make a divisive claim here. Uh, The easy choice for Edelgard is something like poli-sci or history. But I think if Edelgard didn't go to war school, because there's a lot of Edelgard's story that is about, like, she does strongly desire to have a normal life, to behave like a normal teenager with, like, other kids in the school, but has, has, like realize that she can't based on what she has to do yeah so she didn't have to go to war school that's gone she can be herself so i think she would have studied music or something i feel like she would be a music major 
I could see that. I could see that. Yeah, that 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 works for yeah. me. Something that still requires like diligent and stern practice and mastery. Yeah, but isn't about killing everyone in Fodlan. <laughs> <laughs> Because she has a really, uh, in one of her supports with Manuela, she has this like really strong appreciation of the arts and of opera. So I think that she would have probably studied something within that, I think. Interesting, so yeah. Honestly, a music major, like a conservatory music major. Yeah. Dimitri, I feel like, would go to like a business management course. Like maybe, maybe not like straight collegiate, unless it was like an Ivy League situation Mm. you know i could i could see one of two directions one like a two-year business management course or ivy league like i'm gonna work at fucking wells fargo top of the top kind of situation i could see dimitri going into business school as tradition warrants him dropping out a year in and like getting really into fish and then going (laughs) back to school Uh, I think a business major makes sense for him, though. I think he would study something that is like lined up for him to inherit something big, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, then again, if we're saying this isn't war school, I don't want it to be too direct of a parallel. Um, but I do think he seems like I think he would want to do something where he could provide for those around him. I think he would choose like, OK, this is going to secure me financial stability in the future right couldn't you see him getting excited about putting his patagonia vest on (laughs) and going to like his his finance bro he'll he'll like work in fidei new york i'm forgetting how much i love dimitri until you said that uh he does say (laughs) in pre pre time skip when you get it because you know how when characters get a critical hit characters nearby will be like whoa impressive yeah he goes Um, sell 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 (laughs) (laughs) it's a bull market bye bye Uh, no he literally goes well met great which you know i like uh i hear people say that in fight all the time there's one point where there's like an awkward moment of tension between him and edelgard early on Mm -hmm. and one of the dialogue options is like is that puppy love which of course I chose. Yeah, as this is before you know they're siblings, uh, and he goes, "Ha! What a lark! Like holy shit! Great. I made the right choice." Yeah, um, he is the most oblivion and dialect, which I love. Um, <laughs> so, Dimitri would be a business major, Edelgard a music major, Claude. I have oh, a man. very strong opinion about Claude. Do you have okay, any ideas? Tell me. Uh, I could see poli sci. I could see like communications, maybe. Mm. Um, what do you what are you thinking? I think doesn't go to college, becomes a vlogger and makes it work. <laughs> yeah, I think. But got accepted. Like he got accepted oh, to yeah. a bunch and chose not to go. Yeah, I think I think that's probably it. I could see a situation in which he started communications and then left because he started making a vlog maybe as a as a project, you know, a class something. assignment. And then like it got 10,000 views on YouTube or something. And he was like, oh, I can do this. I like those choices a lot, which actually that brings us to the next question pretty seamlessly. Okay. Uh, Scout. Hello, Scout. Thank you for this wonderful question. Scout asks, which students are most likely to have been vine stars and what were their <laughs> vines like? So Claude oh, obviously wow. was and probably is a vine star at this point. Um, yeah. I think Claude and Hilda for sure were vine stars. Um. I think Hilda takes a, I think Hilda's more of like 
like a celebrity Snapchat where she's just at really cool events and just like talks into the phone about how bored she yeah, is. Hilda's a you visco I mean? girl. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think Caspar uploads videos of Goku charging up to Lincoln Park. Like that's his. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> he does FMV. I love it. Yeah, yeah. He, Caspar definitely goes like this. Is, like it has like a iMovie intro, like Caspar's vids, and like yeah. it's just Broly versus Goku to Lincoln Park. <laughs> <laughs> Crawling in my skin. Oh shit! Yeah, perfect. I love that. Um. But Vine, the question was about Vine. So who is on Vine? We know we know Caspar's on YouTube. Um, Claude's on Vine. I have a feeling that Raphael is is a Vine star kind of yeah. by accident. Maybe he doesn't even own the account, but people keep taking Vines of him doing incredible physical feats that be they go viral because they're just so wild to watch. It's like one of yeah. those situations where like you can't look away once you've started watching. Hilda has like started asking Raphael for help, but she secretly is video videoing him doing stuff. Yeah, uh, that's her like secondary account. Uh huh. Um, I don't think the Blue Lions have much of a Vine presence. Uh, <laughs> I feel like Ingrid just deleted Facebook, you know, but like yeah. made a big post about it. Like, I could honestly, I could see Ingrid on Twitter being verified, uh, maybe working in media. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Not Absolutely. not to keep taking this down the, the route of the previous question, but I, I could see Ingrid just being very big on Twitter. Yeah, for sure. Um Yeah, absolutely. This is this is such a fun question. I'm trying to think if there's any other people we're missing. Oh, Dorothea's on Vine. Absolutely. Easy. Yeah. Um, she does like pop covers of like old songs, you know? Yeah. Six six yeah. second covers, yeah. Maybe she'd be six. she'd be huge on on TikTok. I guess is is where you can tell really I'm not look. super familiar with Vine. Yeah, she's on TikTok. Oh, were you uh, never on Vine? Not really. No. Oh, Vine was only six seconds long. Was how that worked. Um, does Hubert have a Vine? I feel like he uploaded a Vine by accident once, and it's just him like dropping his phone or trying to stop the recording. Hubert has, and like it went one... viral. It still went viral. Like it, people shared it around yeah. because it was so goofy to watch this extremely stern person try and turn his own phone off. He has one like video rants about how uh, uh, some some old Disney movie is widely misunderstood, and like he can't <laughs> delete it. Maybe he didn't realize that it was only six seconds long, so he gets cut off right after he yeah, starts saying like, the word "pumba." One hundred and one Dalmatians. <laughs> it, and then it just cuts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh claude i mean there there is that twitter account that has all the students on twitter claude would be big on twitter for sure i think um, so too no yeah way. i honestly i think i think claude would have a pretty big presence almost everywhere yeah absolutely dimitri's band has a myspace that he also can't delete uh <laughs> they're very like joy division-esque anyway that's a very fun question that could be a whole episode we'll revisit that in some time um all right moving on kyle uh thank you kyle asks i'd like to know what you wish you'd known before playing for example spend less time retrieving lost items the best explorer loop you found when you use the seminar etc i would say i wish i knew that the cheap lower rank weapons are kind of the way to go i think giving like a really good character like leone and iron lance is going to be way more effective than buying a, a silver lance or something like that 
Interesting. Um, yeah. I also think that uh, the lost items I always end up bouncing off of pretty quickly because all they really do is raise motivation for characters you have and I think raise support, which you can do more easily in other ways. So like they're there for fun and to add character, but like you certainly I don't think the game expects you to do all of them. They're just another avenue for those things. I sure did all of them, Steven. And then I went and <laughs> of course you uh, did. I bought all the gifts and then gave all the gifts to the people that liked them the most. But I think that's what's great about the game is like you don't have to do one thing to achieve the same result. So like if you like the kind of scavenger hunt vibe with the lost items, you can do that. Um, if you prefer the like advice box, which yeah, I don't think we've ever talked about, you can do that. Oh yeah. Um, you can buy gifts. Uh, you can eat lunch. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to accomplish the same results. Uh, like I didn't really fish as much. Some people like all they do is fish. So yeah. you know, I think that I wouldn't say to not do any of that, but I think don't feel pressured to do all of it. Um, yeah, I totally agree. By by the time I hit the time skip was when I finally started kind of easing up on min-maxing and doing literally everything every time. Yeah. I'd also say uh, there were some conversations in the Discord about this, but I don't think you need to promote everyone to a masterclass. I think, like, a lot of those masterclasses are very specific. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the advanced classes are are better. I mean, Petra as an assassin is, like, the greatest character in the game. There's yeah. no reason... She gets an ability that just randomly one shot kills enemies. Great. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, so I think don't feel too pressured to do that. And like definitely look up a guide if you are curious, like which classes have the best stat growth and all that kind of stuff, because they don't really tell you that in the game. Um, and that's also I think I think I would just double down on like don't feel insecure about looking up a guide because while they've made this game so much more attainable to understand there's still a lot of up to stuff that like there's no shame in looking up. Yeah, um, I completely agree. Uh, I looked up a guide for uh, the gifts and the lost items like pretty much immediately. Um, and I had a great time because of it. Um, I'd also say yeah. the only thing I do tell people going in is like, know that whoever you choose to be the dancer is going to unlock that class for that character. I thought it was a story beat and I chose the person who wanted to dance which was Mercedes, the only blue lion who actually wanted to do it. Everyone else begged me no. Oh, um, wow. But I didn't want to change her class because Mercedes just rocks as a a, a healer or a mage. Yeah, um, she's incredible. So, yeah. Her ability so, to psychically heal people from afar, ridiculous. Her and Linhart are the best at that. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're really good healers. Amazing. Um, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I, I would say... Um, the only thing that I wish I had known ahead of time was how long the game would be uh, on one route and uh, how I could have kind of shaved that down a little bit. But you kind of don't know that until you figure out what stuff you lock into in terms of like how you're going to raise people's supports because there's yeah. so many avenues towards doing that. Like I stopped doing the the training ground stuff eventually at a certain point because like I just didn't find that super worth it. Um, I like barely ever cooked before uh, before battles. Um, oh really see i was the inverse i training was my main source of income and i uh because you also unlock a seal if you get first place yeah so you save a lot of money that way yeah and cooking was like one of my cooking with to do is like half of my blue lions run cooking honestly. with to do yeah oh man i want to yeah, mock up this, that book that book cover um <laughs> he's a great chef yeah i i would also mention um don't ignore 
the online functionality of being able to send one of your students out with an item to sell and also to get like picked up and and um I forget what it's called like like other people can recruit your character that you send out um I pretty much neglected that for I would say two-thirds of the game and then once i realized that i could pull isithia back from online uh she had like two hundred thousand dollars with her which was amazing um so yeah. then i just didn't need to care about money literally for the rest of the game and i would say i think the biggest advice is like don't feel like you're making the wrong decisions i think that this game can be a little bit overwhelming with like how much you have to maintain and like what to do like Whatever you're doing is right for that playthrough. The game is going to conform to your actions. It's not yes. going to expect you to obtusely know something esoteric. Right. Um, Thanks, Kyle. That was a great question. Yeah, yeah. Thank um, you. I like that one. Let's move on. Uh, let's see. Lily asks us. Uh, thank you for this question, Lily. Uh, Lily says, the support dialogues are my favorite part. Would love to hear which combinations you enjoyed the most. Some of the best ones I've seen were ones recommended here that I wouldn't have thought to try otherwise. Lysithia and Hanneman, Ignatz and Flane, Catherine and Shamir, etc. We touched on this a little bit. I did know my favorite uh, supports that weren't cross houses because mm -hmm. um, we kind of touched on that earlier. So to give both questions uh, attention. I think the romance um, between Rhea and the Death Knight is just like, well, you, can't, <laughs> you can't miss it. It's, you you got to do it. I don't think I mentioned this on the show, but one of the parts of the game that made me laugh out loud in my Black Eagles run, at one point I talked to Manuela and she was like, do you remember the Death Knight? He, you know, he kind of busted up my leg a bit in combat. I just went up to him and he apologized to me, like full hearted, sincere apology from a, from the Death Knight. <laughs> she couldn't process it. <laughs> like that guy literally, it's like the joke we have of like obvious villain. It's got a skull for her face and horns and goes like, I enjoy killing. And like, yeah. he's like, sorry, about five years ago. <laughs> that is something that is kind of silly. Some of the post time skip supports are like. Hey, about that really specific moment we had five years ago. Let's pick up right where we left off. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> that's know? the big one with uh, Leone and and Byleth in that uh, in that support thing because literally, I, I think it's the the B support. She yells at you right when Gerald dies. Um, she kind of like loses her cool, and then the A support. She apologizes for that five years later. She's like, "Hey, so the last yeah. time we talked didn't go so well. Like, man, you're still holding on to that five years later. Yeah. Incredible." Um, I will say it's it's interesting that some supports like in house only have two scenes and then some have like B plus like they have like four. Right. So yeah. I guess going back to the earlier question of like which ones you th wish were there. I kind of wish like in house at least they had all had like a post time skip scene like mm -hmm. Ignatz and Claude. I think only had two scenes together. Um, which is interesting. Might be true, yeah. Yeah. I think it's only like B and C. Um. So, you know, it would have been cool to see, like, the full thing. But again, the, the work they've done here is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite support in general was Dudu and Dimitri. That, that, that relationship is just so fascinating and, like, simultaneously heartbreaking and heartwarming. Especially the last one yeah. where Dimitri tells Dudu, he's like, you're, you're the one good thing I've done. Like, you saved my life, too. That, that's such a beautiful sentiment. Mm. Um. I think a lot of this game is about like when do you let go of grudges and how many generations have to carry a grudge and like when does the cycle of revenge finally end to see to see two people who owe their lives to each other in such like a respectful way is, is really beautiful. Yeah. Um 
So Dudu and Dimitri made me tear up. Um, Ingrid and Dudu have an interesting support because Ingrid is like pretty much just racist against the people of Dusker. Whoa. Like she really? She uh, on her character sheet on the likes and dislikes and dislikes it just says the people of Dusker. Oh my god! And dislikes. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, uh, Dudu says to the character to Byleth, like, "Hey, don't hang out with me too much. People will will talk." Because Dusker as a nation is believed to have conspired against the king, uh, which was Dimitri's father. Yeah, um, right. Which makes the Dew and Dimitri's friendship so much more powerful that like the Dew is from a nation that is conf- is supposed to be responsible for for Dimitri's parents' death. But there's a lot to the tragedy of Dusker that like is up in the air. It's clearly a more complicated scenario than that. I think it involves those of Slither in the Dark in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that tragedy, Dimitri saved the Dew, and that's kind of what formed their friendship. Right, um, yeah. But Ingrid and Dudu, Ingrid is someone who firmly believes that Dusker as a nation is responsible for that. And Ingrid lost her spouse, uh, her fiance, which is Felix's brother. Uh, he died in the tragedy of Dusker. So wow. yeah. she projects a lot of that onto Dudu and is like very cruel to him in the beginning. But they end up becoming pretty good friends to the point where Ingrid tells Dudu that he should smile more often, ironically. Oh my god. And what follows is him literally doing a The Rock face at the camera. Like one eyebrow raised, like trying to smile. uh, And just walks around smiling and people are scared. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that ends with them both blushing and Dudu learning how to smile organically. Yeah. So it starts off really heated and it kind of paints Ingrid in a bad light. At least it did for me. Um, but I think it's important to show these characters at their best and at their worst. And that's what makes them feel human. Yeah, um, absolutely. I would say uh, on my end, the one that I really liked the most um, and I'm probably going to miss in future playthroughs is uh, Byleth and Claude have a really, really, really interesting set of support dialogues where it feels, honestly, the more of them go on, the more you feel like you are not the protagonist of the game and you are the Ron Weasley to Claude's Harry Potter. Um, (laughs) He is so in the weeds and so, like, good at finding stuff out that you would have never, ever discovered on your own that whenever you meet up with him, he's like, so I learned this, 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 this. What do you think we do now? Like, the, the plan of attack is either this, this, or this, depending on this, this, or this. Okay, what do you think? You're my professor, and you're just like fucking. I don't know. Take I don't the know wheel, at all. Dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You pick. Um, and then over time, he just like starts to confide in you more and more and more, and starts to trust you more and more. Um, it is a really interesting set of discussions uh, that are very one sided because Claude is a genius. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like the relationship between the player and Dimitri is is very different. I mean, it's obviously a very emotional one. You know, in the beginning, he confides in you a lot and kind of tells you a lot about his past. I think I mentioned this in our first episode about Fire Emblem, but like he basically brings up his like first mission where he had to kill civilians and it was to kind of quiet a rebellion similar to the Lord of the Nada one and he was like, you know, I it was easy. He was like, I, you know, they, it wasn't even a fair fight. And he remembers seeing one of the soldiers has like a locket of hair and he's like, all, all it took for me to realize I killed the person was seeing that. Yeah. Um, and of course later in the game, uh, you're basically like, I mean, you know, 
telling Claude to take the wheel, like everyone is trying to grab the wheel away from Dimitri because <laughs> yeah. he's just trying to crash the ship. Uh, and seeing seeing how you help him emotionally is very interesting. Um, I will say uh, one more support that I really loved was Ash and Dudu. Uh, it ends in one of the most heartwarming things where they, they start cooking together because oh, Ash nice. loves to cook. Yeah. And Dudu has a lot of interesting spices and ingredients from Dusker. Yeah, Dudu loves um, cooking, doesn't he? I thought that was one does. of his things. Yeah. Yes, it's a shared interest. Actually, I think, I think it was Scout who in, in our Discord, we were all sharing our epilogues and... Uh, there was an epilogue ending with Ash and Dudu, and they like own an inn together or something. Oh, that's awesome. It's like it's so cute. But uh, it ends with Dudu cooking a meal for Ash, and they had this really heartfelt conversation about like something pretty heavy. And Ash starts crying, and Dudu says, "Careful, you'll oversalt it." Oh my uh, god! <laughs> and then Ash is like, "Thank you." And then he just goes, "Eat as much as you like." And it's like just such a warm wow. moment. Yeah. Um. The do is like just the best. It, 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 every playthrough without the do is like daggers in me. Anyway, um. <laughs> on the complete <laughs> flip side of that, tonally, uh, I just also want to shout out all of Hilda's supports with literally everyone, where she gaslights every person in every house <laughs> into helping her do the thing that she doesn't want to do. Uh, just incredible. Just a, she, a wildly uh, strong millennial vibe on Hilda. She, she rules she's yeah. just the best yeah. all the, all the retainers have like like i don't like hubert but the dude is a comedic gold mine right like yeah. the the scene with him in edelgard where he straight up tells her he loves her surprisingly mm-hmm. i mean not surprisingly yeah um but she's like hubert what's on your mind and he goes please their trifles beneath you not worth your time <laughs> it's like oh, <laughs> uh he's so funny um Anyway, moving on. Thank you, uh, Lily, for that question. Yeah. Um, Marcel asks us, which two students would you like to be stranded on the middle seat of a plane with while it was delayed on the tarmac with no ETA and when you'll be in the air? Please spoil this for me. Um, I, what he's saying when he says, uh, what he means when he says, uh, please spoil this for me is the actual scene in the game where you are stuck on the tarmac with no ETA. <laughs> um, it's, post it's in the time church skip. route. Yeah, yeah. It's in the church route. Um, wow. This is a good question. Okay. So I would pick Raphael like immediately just because he has like a fun vibe to him, but he's so big that I don't I think I was about to say that. it's, yeah. you're going to be smushed. Um, yeah, I feel like the fun answer is Raphael and Hilda, because like that would just be like, you know, you could you could spend hours with those two talking about whatever. Yeah. Um, well, actually talking about food, probably. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. <sighs> hmm. I want, this is a great question. Yeah. Raphael, major disqualification for just like taking up three seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, his like shoulders alone and biceps. This Definitely not Sylvain and Caspar. I'll say that much. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like Caspar a lot, but I feel like he would definitely show me the the uh, FMVs he has made of Goku charging up. Um, <laughs> I think Ash and Dudu. I think Dudu. Ash and Dudu would be because I think Dudu would be like. I think Dudu would be great to have around in case like there is an emergency. You know, like he was the one person who paid attention in the flight when they were like, in case of emergency, grab the thing under your seat. And like, uh-huh. he's ready. Um, but I think he would also be like fun to talk to and get to know and like clearly has stories to tell. Um, 
and Ash is just like a really Ash is just like a nice guy, you know. I yeah. think that would be like a very pleasant company. Part of me wants to say Bernie because I feel like she would <laughs> really she just would keep to herself. You would almost forget that she was there. Are you kidding? On a plane with no ETA, that is like peak Bernadetta. Oh, yeah, you're panic right. You're right, you're right. There'd be a lot of anxiety there. I thought that she would just like kind of meld into the background. If that's the route that I'm going to take, though, Marianne probably. Yeah, would yeah. literally do that. Um, I mean, I think I think I love both characters, but Bernie and Marianne together would be a nightmare because one would be panicking about worst case scenarios, and the other one would be, would be praying for the plane <laughs> to like get there <laughs> safely, and it would just be a very strange mood. You're right. You're right. Um, man, I really don't know who to pick for this. I I want I keep going back to Claude, but I feel like Claude would be a good pick for this. Here's the thing. What do you want in your company on a plane that's stuck? Because this is a very specific situation. Here's the thing. I'm the kind of person where if I'm in that situation, I am very, very relaxed. I do not care whenever my shit gets delayed pretty much at all. Like if I'm already on a train and it gets delayed, like I don't care. I only care when I am waiting for the plane. It doesn't show up. Like, that's yeah. when I'm like, ah, shit. Like, at least put me on the seat, and then I feel okay. Um, yeah. And I would want to be surrounded by people who would also have that mentality, which is why I like the idea of Raphael, um, because I feel like he very much would exude that vibe. I think, I think the easy answer to this question is, like, who would be enjoyable to have around, which is, like, a good answer. But yeah. in my experience, like, anytime I've met someone on a plane, it is such a specific environment where it's, like, I am more willing to meet someone I may never talk. Like, I'm probably going to never see this person again. Yeah. What kind of like weird experience is that going to be in like the limited time and specific time that there is? Together? Right. Cause you, you don't you want know? a Brad Pitt and fight club situation where he convinces you to <laughs> blow up a bunch of buildings in whatever city yeah. that movie takes place in. But cause I feel like there's like a version <laughs> of Felix that would be like the best person to sit next to on an airplane. Yeah, you know yeah, what I yeah. mean? Totally. Cause like he's going to probably like complain to you, not directly to you, but just about the situation. Mm-hmm. And then you'll like learn weird shit about him. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like that's the situation is like you suddenly, you have like a weird camaraderie in this specific moment, but then you never see each other again. Right. So I think Ash, I think Ash and Dudu is like the most pleasant version of that. Um, I feel like Felix and Hilda would be a fun counter to have, you know? I think they yeah. would also be good to vent with uh, about the situation. You know who would be the best to vent with would be Edelgard. Yeah, but then she would be like, do you know how to fly a plane? I'm not saying we should. <laughs> right. I'm not saying we should take control of the plane, but if you know how to fly a plane. The more I think about this question, the more I'm realizing what would what these characters would be like if you just transplanted them into the modern age. Like we've had so many of these questions in a row now where it's like, that's all I can think about. Like, I'm trying to think about what Rhea would be like in 2019 in this world. And I think she'd be famous. (laughs) I think she would be like an Angelina Jolie level, like famous person where she's so famous. She doesn't seem real anymore. You know, she's on a lot of daytime talk shows and has like a book about believing in yourself. And yeah. Like, oh, yeah. She's like yeah. going to Paltrow. She has like the goop situation going yeah, on. Yeah. She's exactly. <laughs> so I'm not going to answer this question, but I am going to leave you with that thought about Raya. How about that? That'll be that. It's my consolation. Raya is famous. I mean, she's basically famous in that world, too. She she's is. Like she is. And I think yeah. that would translate. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, you know what? Who are we kidding? Best person to be on this plane with Gerald. Gerald. Really? He would have this. I think so. 
I here's what I'm thinking. It's like if shit goes down, like who is going to be the most resourceful in this? Situation? Why why are you assuming that shit's going to go down on this plane? It's literally you are the bad person to sit next to. I know. I am. You're telling I'm me the plane's going to go down just because it got delayed 15 minutes. It's it's me or Bernadetta, but the same fucking reaction. That's how I'm wired. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm thinking of every worst case scenario and who I want to help me out of it and who's not going to kill me. So I think then you would need. Who are your choices? So who and to do? Originally, it was Ash and to do. I think that's that's my that's my go to. I'm going to I'm going to switch your answer for you. Then I'm going to okay. say uh, Marianne and to do. Because in Dudu's case, if something actually happens, you have someone who can help you out. And in Marianne's case, you can pray with her in case that's also the, the correct route. You know what I mean? You don't know which mm. of those two things is you're actually going to need. But I have, uh, my... you have both your bases covered, both your spiritual and physical. Yeah, know? we could also talk to animals. I am. I am. <laughs> jumping... Yeah, you could talk to all the animals stuck in the cargo bay. Yeah, exactly. Uh I am I am kind of jumping to conclusions of like who I assume would be helpful in that situation because we don't truly know. Like I think there's a version in which mm-hmm. like <laughs> that we're getting really deep in the weeds here. But I'm just saying like that's literally why what I'm, this podcast is. <laughs> that's why people are I know, here. But it's like, I do think the dude would be like ready to go, paid attention to the video, would be able to help. Uh-huh. Um, but who's to say that like Hilda wouldn't or like Marianne wouldn't? Like you know, I'm I'm jumping to conclusions. I think Marianne and Dudu is actually the best too. That also will be a very silent ride once we're in the air. Yeah. Neither of them are going to talk. I can listen to music and not feel You rude. can focus on the in-flight movie. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Puss in yeah. Boots. Finally, Puss time boots to watch too. it. Even putting yeah, it off I for so been, long. Dudu turns to me, I have a meeting to watch this film. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to talk. He takes one of your uh, headphones. <laughs> that is something where, like, I I am very extroverted, but I don't usually want to talk like on public transit. And like, whenever someone really does, like, I'll follow the rhythm of the room. Like, if someone wants to talk and is interesting and is nice, I'll totally join. But if it's like, if it's like, hey, the weather, I'm like, oh my god, kill me. <laughs> um, who are your choices? Um, I don't think I can pick. I'm having a hard time. I'm I I think probably Claude for the conversation. I think would at least be interesting. Mm. Like he would have a lot to say. And again, like I I feel like he is um, vlogger adjacent in this alternate timeline. Um, yeah. So I I feel like he'd have a lot of interesting stuff to say. Um, and I think my other pick. I think my other pick is going to be Raya. I was gonna, you you catch a glance of Raya in first class as you like clumsily put your one carry on item in the in the compartment above you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This is like when I saw um, oh shit, what's his name? I saw Malcolm Gladwell on my flight back from Italy. Uh, <laughs> he was on my flight, and I just heard a bunch of people whispering like Malcolm Gladwell. <laughs> if any, if in your world Raya is famous and you're sitting next to her and Claude, who is a vlogger, I feel like that's a very interesting dynamic that's set up. Right, you have you have new and old Hollywood happening next to each other. <laughs> I just feel like there would be a story in the making. Yeah, cool. like I would never forget that plane ride. You know? Oh, never. Yeah, never. Uh, cool. I think we have one more question, right? Uh, here's one from Andrew. Maybe, uh, if you could make a custom house between the three houses, who are you taking? Would the meshing of personalities result in every different outcomes for characters after the time skip? 
That's a very big question. Your perfect um, house. My perfect house? Oh my god. Uh, I guess I could just, to make it easier, just have a house of my favorites. Um, uh-huh. Any rules to this, or should we just... I'll, I'll just do this as quickly as I, I think I can. Yeah. Uh, my favorites in a house. Uh, Ash, Dudu, Bernadetta, Felix, um, Hilda, uh, Lynn Hartz, uh, I got eight, right? So I got two more. Mm-hmm. Um, Claude and Dimitri. Those are my eight. Wow. So you're going to, you're going to pull house leaders into your house. Yeah. Why not? It's my house. That's true. I think pulling Dimitri into my house with Claude, especially is the only way he doesn't meet a grim fate. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that that would, I, I, I think also like, the big tragedy of a lot of the time skip routes is like the blue lions and golden deer not working together. Like that is like the biggest missed opportunity in, in those playthroughs because like they didn't have any reason to fight really. Yeah. At least I felt that way. Yeah. Um, so what did I say? Ash to do Bernadetta Felix. Who else did I say? Dimitri and Claude. Dimitri and Claude. And, uh, Hilda, and who was the last one? I said eight earlier. I really just want world peace between Blue Lions, Golden Deer, and my favorite Black Eagles. Linhart. <laughs> uh, Linhart was the eighth one. I have a very similar outlook. Um, yeah. My choice is Black Eagles, but Aelgard is still the leader. Replace every Black Eagle with every Golden Deer member. Oh wow, interesting. And I and I don't think Edelgard goes down the path that she was going to go down originally. Huh. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Hilda would steer Edelgard in a good direction oddly enough. Yeah. Um and there's enough cuz I think like the the thing we didn't really touch upon in the first part is like how different the group scenes feel with each house. Yeah. Like in the Black Eagle house there isn't there's a very strong sense of like uneasiness between every member like there are f- strong friendships within that house. Yeah. Um and like people in the Edelgard route like do look up to her and like believe in her but everyone is dealing with their own like like everyone is a little bit uneasy about the path they're taking. Everyone is a little bit uneasy around each other around Hubert. Um yeah. Blue Lions, like I said, big family for better or for worse. And Golden Deer, it feels like a high school class. Yeah. There's such a strong sense of individuality there that it feels like, you know, people growing up alongside each other, not competing and not like bickering. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think Black Eagles, where a Black Eagle situation in which you have removed Hubert and you've removed, um, not Frederick. Is Frederick his name? Ferdinand. Ferdinand. And you've removed Ferdinand. Um, I think those two by themselves already helps a lot, not having those two in the house. Ferdinand's actually pretty level-headed. Like, he, he, he comes off pretty... Like, he's the, he's the Lorenz or the Sylvain of the group. Yeah. Um, and he's very competitive with Edelgard, but, like, he's actually... Uh, <laughs> that's he's no, that's what one. I mean, though. That's the problem. Oh. The problem is that oh. he's so competitive with Edelgard that he's pushing her to become better and, like, more terrifying over time. Because she's becoming right, more ruthless right. to battle against Ferdinand, whereas you remove all of that entirely, and you remove Hubert's like creepy yes man vibe, <laughs> um, almost fucking Emperor Palpatine looking ass, and and suddenly yeah. I think 
that house becomes much brighter. He's like if Emperor Palpatine was Iago from Aladdin. <laughs> you yeah, know, like he's like right. that voice, but like whatever you say, yes. Um, yeah. There's a point in the Edelgard route where, like, she has, as Emperor, she has already cast out nobles who are, like, bad at their job and, like, morally bankrupt. Mm. That includes Ferdinand's dad. And uh, Hubert goes, it included my dad as well. What an unfortunate circumstance. <laughs> or, like, he says something like, <laughs> he does not care at all about his own father. Wild. Um, yeah. Uh, so, I think those are all our questions. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Um, this was super fun to do. Thank you all who asked us. Uh, I think we can make this maybe a tradition, uh, at least in the bonus episodes. I like the sense of involvement here. Oh, um, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, whenever we come up with whatever the theme for the bonus episodes will be, I guess we'll, we'll ask for uh, a Q&A in there as well. Uh, I will say um, this episode, at least the recording in total, is around four to five hours long. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think... Every bonus episode will be that way. I don't want us to like have this be the expectation, I think, because I don't know if that's like literally going to be feasible for us as human beings every month um, to talk about something this in depth. But, um, you know, there will be bonus episodes and they will be in depth discussions of specific things. I think you can expect them to be because I think our show runs anywhere between 40 minutes to four hours. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Uh, but that's a good precedent to set. We're not trying to make extra long episodes. This is just a special occasion where it's a game that a game like this doesn't come out very often. This is right. a game that I think warranted this s- much discussion. Yeah, it's going to be cited the same way we cite Breath of the Wild constantly. Yeah, um, I really do think just kind of a ribbon on the whole thing. I think I think we are in a new golden age. Like I know we we touch on it a lot in uh, in the show, but I think there's a really exciting era to be involved with video games in any way there's a lot of really wonderful stuff coming out and i think this is amongst the best of them uh it's really something special and i'm so happy that not only that this game is as great as it is but that has it has incited discussion between us this way we're talking about it differently than we talk about games even on the show regularly that we talk about it so much on the discord that like a lot of people um this is like their first time playing a game like this and they're loving it or they're a longtime fan of the series and loving it. It just, it's a, it feels like a very special moment. And I just want to, I just really want to express gratitude for that and for everyone involved in that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I am grateful. Uh My thanks. Yeah. I I can't speak highly enough of this game. (laughs) That's uh, very sweet of you. It's just thank you. It's just an incredible uh, piece of media. Thank you, guys. Uh, you know, so. removed from just the trappings of video games I in am general. Grateful. I got. I got to stop. You're you're saying sincere things. I'm sorry. Oh, I thought that was the bit. Um. Anyway. Okay. No, it's 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 over. It's fine, Stephen. Sorry. I'm sorry. I am sorry. <laughs> I am sorry. Sorry. I'm so sorry. 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 I'm so sorry. This reminds me of a congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> anyway, um, I love this anyway. game. Uh, I've never played a Fire Emblem game to completion. I sure did it with Thank this you. one. I'm going to do it more than once. Yeah. Uh, I was about to say we'll talk about it again. And I literally was like, Steven, we can't. 
<laughs> what else are going to revisit the church route when Brendan does it twice? Um, I am, however, the one Fire Emblem content awaiting us. I am going to play that one, uh, one of the big updates in the recent uh, DLC. They added a new difficulty called Maddening, which I assume is this game's version of Lunatic, uh, which like, it's impossible. Thankfully changed the name. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is a rough name. Um, but uh, I have played the game on hard um, the times I've played it, and I'm going to attempt to play through it on Maddening, and I'm going to try to stream that. So cool. keep an eye out for that sometime soon. Uh, I can't promise when because I just got the equipment I need, and I got to test out like if I can. Um, but that is something that I will be trying to do in the near future. Yeah. Um, at the very least, I'll try it on my own if I can't stream it, and I'll let you know how it goes. But uh, I'd like to stream it, because that'd be a lot of fun. So Yeah, I do think we'll talk about this game again whenever the DLC drops. Um, so just prepare for that. Yeah, might touch on it in a Game of the Year discussions. Who knows? Uh, I don't think it'll come up. I, yeah, maybe honorable mention. <laughs> I do hope by the time this year is done that like that episode isn't just like, yeah, of course. Duh. Like the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think there's gonna it's gonna be a great time. It's gonna be a good episode. I'm not gonna foreshadow that at all. But Fire Emblem Rules, we love it. We love you. Thank you for everything. Thank you for our patrons who made this bonus episode possible yes. for everyone. Uh should I give a shout out? We did that at the beginning. Did we? Yes. That's the first thing that happened. Thank you. Thank you. You gotta stop. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do like that the closer we get to the end of the year, the more you and I start mentioning our, like, very latent anxiety about the Game of the Year episode, as if it's a thing that, like, is an actual, like, extremely yeah. serious, terrifying thing. It's just it's you and I talking about games. sitting on your floor. Yeah. yeah. It's just this time of games we liked. Um, it's fun, though. I mean, I like the idea of, uh, for those who didn't listen to the 2018 one, we each make our own list of top 10 of the year, and then we have to make a cumulative, cumulative top five for the show. Yeah. Um, it's a fun time. Uh, uh, yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, let's sign off. Yeah. Before I start doing the thank you joke again. Okay. Uh, goodbye, everyone. Thank you again. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me goodbye. on the internet at Brendan Bigley. Bye. See you later. Wow, you are doing it. Goodbye. I'm not. This is a new joke. It's bye. It's the bye oh, joke. Oh, right. You're right. No, it is a completely new joke this time. <laughs> you're, you're definitely uh, right. For real. Thank you for everything. Goodbye. Your name is Thanks Stephen for listening. Hilger, and you can be found on the internet as Stephen Hilger. See ya! <laughs> Your name is Brendan Bigley. You can be found on the internet at Brendan Bigley. Goodbye.